Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Now, we'll get to our regular morning paper review just after 9.30, but we have a couple of calls uh, with people who have meetings squeezed in, and uh, we want to get to them fairly quickly. And uh, first is Dr. Nick O'Flynn, uh, my Cork GP. Good morning, Dr. Nick. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, doctors in Cork are urging people to double down on public health guidelines. The region's COVID-19 cases rise. Uh, we saw Cork coming into play last night. We were always saying, uh, you know, Sligo and Cork seem to have the, uh, the two lowest rates. It's starting to take a grip here now again, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. I mean, and that's not to be unexpected, really, Mick. I mean, you know, the the virus hasn't changed you know our behaviour for for a while had changed it changed during lockdown because change was imposed upon us and as lockdown was being eased we were being asked uh, to have personal responsibility in our personal conduct and in our conduct uh, as groups of people to minimise the spread of the virus but the virus is very infectious and one thing the virus is very good at is spreading from person to person so as lockdown eased and as social interaction and I suppose uh, business and educational uh, interactions increased. The virus was always going to increase again. Mm-hmm. Now, with four separate premises of Cork City confirming cases yesterday, one employee in Pennies and Wilton, uh, Care Choice confirming an incidence, a nursing home in Montanati, two secondary schools reporting cases. Are we getting a little complacent? Uh, I th- well, I'm, not, I'm not sure that we're getting complacent, but I think that we do need to remind ourselves of the messages, uh, you know, um, and like. I suppose the real uh, thing to consider is that we've had a summer where we may have allowed ourselves to think that this is not too bad. We've had a summer where Cork in particular has done reasonably well. Uh, But I think it's important to remember that although we've had cases during the summer where people haven't been sick because we've identified a lot of, uh, I suppose, asymptomatic young contacts uh, of positive cases uh, and they haven't developed uh, an illness, that the more uh, young healthy people who are positive, the more likely it is that our vulnerable, unwell or sick patients and elderly patients will become infected and unfortunately we know that this virus is particularly dangerous for that group. So while we we haven't seen for the summer, right up until maybe two weeks ago, we haven't seen increasing numbers in hospital admissions. We haven't seen increasing ICU numbers. Uh, we are now beginning to see that. And if we don't take take stock of what we're doing, if we don't take measures to, 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 to prevent the, the spread in the community, uh, we do risk coming into winter a time when, like over the years, I've been on the show before, pre-COVID, where every winter we're talking about the strain that's in particular the hospital services, but the health service as a whole is under, you know, we've, like some days, I mean, it's important not to forget, pre-COVID, there were some days when we had uh, up to 600 admitted boarders on trolleys in hospital corridors waiting for hospital beds, you know. So, I mean, that clearly can't happen, be allowed to happen now. Uh, COVID would spread through that particular type of situation very quickly. But, but equally, uh, if, if we get increasing COVID admissions to hospitals, uh, we, we, we'll have other consequences. So we will have, like, ICU capacity will be used up. That will mean that planned operations, cardiac and lung operations will have to pause, you know, uh, routine, other routine tests uh, that patients will be admitted to hospital. If there's no beds for them to get in, they won't be able to have them. So, again, it's, it's about prefer, pre- preserving capacity in the hospital system. And I think in honesty, um, Nick, 
nobody is really sure what happens next. Like, there's no COVIDologist who has been through all this before and knows everything about the virus from start to finish, be it its effect on us as individuals and, as, uh, and its effect on us as a society. <clears throat> I mean, the different specialities like clearly uh, know their particular areas, the lung specialist, the heart specialist, mm-hmm. the stroke specialist, but the public health specialists, they're the experts at preventing spread of disease and infection in the community. And we really have to listen to their advice. Uh, and it might seem to be cons- conservative advice, but people's lives will be at risk during the winter if we don't follow I mean, the very simple instructions that, that we've been asked to follow. Uh, and especially while like, we're, we're, we're not in, in, I suppose, in lockdown or we haven't incor- moved up to, to other phases of restrictions. So it's very important that we do, we do retain what we know works in preventing the spread of this virus from person to person or physical distancing or, or mask wearing, you know, washing our hands, avoiding crowded areas. You know, I, I had a patient contact me at the weekend who was at a, uh, who was at a market in Cork, a new, a new market. He felt, he felt that it was unsafe, so he left and that was absolutely the right thing to do. So, and, and, and we've had a call from um, Ronan Glynn, the, the, our chief medical officer, to reduce our social contacts to try this week to have half the number of contacts we had last week in an effort to stop the virus spreading from person to person. Neil Martin saying the same, Boris Johnson in his speech last night saying the same, and uh, in a much more, I, I think, direct speech, we had Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland uh, putting a little of a few extra elements in there. Look, she said, and, and it was very naturally speaking, if you're under 12, there's no restrictions as to how many people have you, with your friends or what you can do, you can go and play. If you're between 12 and 17, we are asking you to restrict that to six of your friends, but they don't all have to be from two or three houses. They can be six ind- individual friends. For the first time, I thought she's actually talking to a group of people who will subscribe to her advice because she said it so nicely. But can I ask, if anyone's going to see uh, and predict a rise, and you know, solid testing aside, because there's a lag in in getting the the test done and getting the test result. If anyone's going to see uh, or get a feeling for what's happening, it's the GPs with the people coming through their surgeries. What are you feeling on the ground? Yeah, well, I, I suppose that the first thing to say is that general practice has been very busy. Like we've, we've had a very very busy summer. Like I'm 20 years a general practitioner in Cork, and I've never seen a summer that was quite as busy. You know, we were catching up on non-COVID related problems. So. Uh, childhood vaccine smears and, and other kind of illnesses that people maybe had paused on before coming to us uh, and then we've been busy preparing for the winter so we've been getting our, 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 our unwell and our elderly patients in for, for kind of checkups and medication reviews before the winter but we are in the last two or three weeks seeing an increase in the number of um, I suppose respiratory type illnesses that that, 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 that start presenting to us so for example yesterday um, in my afternoon session uh, I, I, I had about 17 phone calls and I made, I think it was five uh, referrals for COVID testing. So five people uh, out of that. So nearly, uh, nearly a third of my consultations yesterday afternoon were for people who fitted the criteria uh, for uh, for a COVID screening test. So either they had fever, cough, shortness of breath, um, or you know, lack of taste or smell. So the feedback from GPs is that we are getting busier. We are seeing more potential uh, COVID cases. So it's important. There's two parts to that. One, it's important that if somebody has a potential uh, COVID case that they do, uh, and they have the symptoms that they do go home, they do self-isolate, and they contact their GP. And then within that, there is the management of the illness to make sure that they're not unwell. If they're unwell, they need to be arranged to be seen. And there's the referral for the test. Something that we're, we're also seeing a little bit at the moment, Mick, is that, and you, you mentioned there, that there was four premises in Cork where there was positive cases yesterday. Um, and we've had some schools, 
positive cases uh, going into last week and late last week. We are seeing um, schools uh, and school management, school principals asking the asymptomatic contacts of positive cases to contact their GP. <clears throat> General practice isn't at the moment involved in referring for testing the asymptomatic so patients who have no symptoms who may have been in contact with, 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 with a, uh, a COVID uh, case should, will be contacted by public health and their management will be directed through public health. So if you are uh, not unwell uh, and you have, I think you have had contact with a, a case of uh, COVID-19, the public health doctors will be in touch with you. Of course, anybody who is unwell, anybody who has any symptoms, contact your GP. Okay. A uh, specific question from a listener. Can you give an accurate or even an estimated figure as to how long COVID antibodies are present in those who've been infected and recovered? And should uh, they commence an antibody test or should we, I suppose, as a nation, uh, commence an antibody test program for those who believe they may have had COVID earlier in the year? Yes. So, so the Irish expert advice on COVID antibodies is that they're not meaningful, they don't really make meaningful clinical judgments, so they, they really, there's, there's two different antibodies, there's uh, IgG and IgM, you know, uh, IgM uh, antibodies mean you may have had a recent infection, and IgG antibodies may be indicating a, a more distant infection, but we, but, I mean, don't forget this virus is only, it's a novel uh, virus, that means that it's new, so it's only around, so SARS-CoV-2 is only around uh, that we know of uh, since December, January time, and, and so it, it really is too early to say how long COVID antibody uh, lasts in our, in our system. Uh, it's also uh, difficult to predict the, the clinical significance of COVID antibodies. So do, does a particular antibody uh, mean that you've been affected? Okay. Does it mean that you're immune? We, we can't say that for sure. Does it mean you can't become reinfected? And does it mean you can't infect others? Uh, and, and there, the, the, I suppose the Irish expert advice has been quite clear that, that we can't make those decisions on the available antibody tests at the moment. So if anybody's mm-hmm. considering an antibody test, it really just is to tell you it, you may or may not have had it. And some people feel that you know, in, in February, March, that they were very unwell, they didn't have a, a swab test, and they may want to get it for their own personal information. But you can't make any meaningful decisions on, on, on the results. Okay, finally, Dr. Nick, uh, the common theme been in, in recent speeches with Michal Martin, with Nicola Sturgeon and Boris Johnson has been the personal responsibility and the reduction of social contact uh, that, and that now more than ever rests on the individual. Could you comment on that? Yeah, no, no, I think it, it, it is up to us now. I mean, nobody wants to go back to lockdown. Um, you know, the, the, the economy clearly can't afford to sustain uh, recurrent lockdowns. And, and, and the way we avoid that is by taking personal responsibility. That is for sure. Um, it's totally understandable that there's a, that people are may feel a little bit uh, confused uh, about COVID at the moment. There's been a little bit of white noise around the public health messaging and the, and the personal uh, measures that we have to take. But to be clear, like the, the scientific medical advice from the main body of, 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 of medical opinion uh, from reputed doctors throughout the world, and it's advice that governments throughout the world are taking on board is that we do need to maintain two metres physical distance from people when we can. We should wear face masks and, uh, and face coverings. We should wash our hands regularly. We should avoid touching our face. We should avoid crowded areas, especially indoors. This virus is particularly good at spreading among groups of people indoors in poorly ventilated areas and avoiding unnecessary social contacts. So that says 
the virus is also very good at its job and its job is to, is to replicate and to go from person to person. So if somebody does get infected, they shouldn't at all be embarrassed. They shouldn't at all have, have a hang up about it. They contact their, their, their GP with their symptoms. We get them tested and we, and we act appropriately. So there's absolutely no reason for anybody to feel that they've done anything wrong. They've let themselves down. They've left their family down, anything like that. If they, if they have symptoms of a positive test, this virus is very, very good at, at going from person to person. We just need to do our best, each one of us, to uh, avoid that happening. Okay, Dr. Nick, thank you very much for taking our call this morning. Thanks very much. Of course, uh, as COVID rages through Ireland, life goes on and people's problems continue uh, in securing all sorts of services, be it telephone, be it Wi-Fi, be it uh, any sort of available service. And insurance is one that raises its head now and uh, and always, I suppose, it's always been a bone of contention. And to change topic and to go on to the insurance topic, I'm joined for a few minutes by Sinn Féin's finance uh, spokesperson, Pierce Doherty. Uh, good morning, Pierce. Thank you. I know you have a you have a, a meeting at 9.30. So I wanted to take this opportunity to, to get to speak to you on the insurance uh, sector. Good morning to you. Now, Sinn Féin is bringing forward legislation that would outlaw the practice of dual or differential pricing in the insurance market. Is it still prevalent? Oh, absolutely. Um, and what we've actually got is uh, we've now got confirmation from the central bank uh, who I met with last year in um, September. Uh, and after I gave them a, a dossier of information, case studies, uh, international research uh, to show that this was happening within the market, they carried out their own investigation uh, in a three phase. But they, they seen what they seen um, in phase one was so alarming that they actually came out last week and, and, and uh, looked for immediate interventions uh, and they they found that uh, dual pricing or this type of uh, this type of way that they rip off their customers basically is uh, happening in the majority of insurers here in, in Ireland. Can I put it to you Pierce that it's not just the insurance industry that the, the TV supply industry the broadband industry, the telephone mobile phone provision industry all seem to have a reluctance to offer deals to existing customers uh, and try to massage the higher prices out of the existing customers while, you know, new business is always competed for at a very high level uh, and great discounts are given t- to those who would shop around. Yeah, you're 100% true in terms of new customers and existing customers and, and how it happens right across utility bills. Indeed, it happens with the mortgage market as well. The only difference is, and this is crucial, Mick, to understand what's happening in, in terms of dual pricing or, or price optimization as its official line is, is that it's different than what would be happening with a broadband company. So, like, for a broadband company, they differentiate between a new customer and an existing customer. With insurance, me and you could have exactly the same risk. We could be identical people, but the difference is that the company would give you a higher quote than they would give me. Why? Because they use what's called big data, information that we provide them, information that they can buy from where we shop and stuff like that there, information that they can snoop from our online activities from Facebook pages and posts and videos that we put up. And they can draw information from all of that uh, using um, what's called artificial intelligence. Uh, And this isn't anything I'm just saying. The insurance industry actually told the European regulators that this is happening and it's actually increasing in, in prevalence across Europe. And what they do then is they try to figure out how much can we push the price up and mix before he moves? But we know from the data that we have in terms of Pierce that if we push up the price, he will actually shop around. So therefore, we'll give him a lower price, but Mick will will hit him for an extra, you know, fifty percent than what is what what we'd normally be asking. So 
dual pricing is about where they are given to people with exactly the same risk, different prices, because they have uh, big data to suggest that you will stay with them, that you will take the price and that you won't move from the company. But if you're using one of the major brokers, Pierce, uh, surely they have to make their percentage profit as well. They do, um, but again, uh, you know, brokers... Brokers are also uh, part of this year, and not everybody is using brokers. Like the, what this type of um, this type of practice has been seen as so repugnant to 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 regulators in America. In America is you know the free of the, you know the, the home of the the, the free capitalist and, and whatnot, light touch regulation and so on and so forth. But right across America, in twenty states, this practice has been banned. You can't do this in Nevada. You can't do it in Ohio. You can't do it in New York or Maryland or many, many other states. In Britain yesterday, they've done a major report. They've come out with their final report, the, the central bank there called the FCA, and they've said that this practice has hit the the, 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 the British consumer by 1.4 billion euro per year, and therefore they are going to ban this practice. Now, I've been calling for this to be banned for the last two years. I've exposed this practice in Ireland, yet the government, when I actually put it to them last week, what the central bank found and that they vindicated everything I've said, they basically came out with a statement which I think was disgraceful and they said there could be unintended consequences if we ban this practice. Like we need for, for, for the first time a government to stand up to ordinary consumers. Just uh, last week we got the com- Competition and, uh, and, and Consumer Protection Commission has come out and suggested that a, a large number, a large number of insurance companies here, including intermediates, uh, that it is very uh, likely that they have broke the law in relation to what is cartel-like price-fixing, price-signalling uh, activities here in Ireland. And they can now be taken uh, through the courts and, and, and prosecuted in relation to that. Yet we have a, a government who has never stood up to this industry. And indeed, even when you expose what they're happening, when you show that it's, it's been banned in America, it's now going to be banned in Britain, again, they take the side and, and, and spin and, and take the line of the industry. And it's not acceptable. Okay, um, my own family, 21 years with the same, I'm not going to mention any names, with, let's say with the same provider. Uh, and then I felt we were being the victim of price walking in that loyal custom, uh, you know, is slightly price gouged every year. It's 10% here, 12% there. But over the course of time, even with no claims, uh, the, the price more or less doubled when you look back historically at it. And by shopping around, um, one of my family got a quote this year for 962. And with one phone call was able to get exactly the same cover with extras, with comprehensive and driving of other people's cars that are insured for 540. That's a massive gap. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've many cases like that. We've actually used real cases to actually um, get the central bank to carry out this investigation last year. My own, my own case was a case in point where 33% higher from the same company. This is the exact same company. When you get your premium, and that would be the advice until we get this banned to any of your listeners today, Mick, when you get your renewal quote, do not accept it. At least phone the company, at least haggle with them, go online, even to the same company and check what you can get online or, or shop around. In my own case, uh, two years ago, I got my renewal premium. I went online to the exact same company that I was with uh, and I got it for a third cheaper. 
saving 300 euro. Uh, we've shown cases where there has been seven, 800 euros of a saving. Indeed, uh, the, the one woman uh, from, from Donegal who sparked my interest in this a while back, the, the actual savings in relation to her case from shopping around was in excess of 2,000 euro because uh, she was a young driver. Now, so like there is huge examples of how this can be done, but they're kind of all anecdotal uh, examples. What we have now from a major study that's been done by the Central Bank in, in Britain is that they have now proved conclusively that if you remain with the insurance company for a number of years, then you will be paying uh, you know, up to 40% more than what you would be paying if you were a new customer. Okay. And that's what's called the loyalty premium, where insurance companies hit you with a higher price because they you are loyal and they think you won't shop around. So in other industries, if you're flying with Ryanair or Air Lingus, they give you a, a, a frequent flyer. They reward loyalty. If you go to your supermarket and, and buy your shopping there, they have you know, a point system. They reward loyalty. With insurance companies, they screw you if you're a loyal customer. Customer, and that's why you should always shop around. The problem is it takes time. It actually costs. Some people don't have the ability to do that. And it's also costly to the actual industry themselves because they spend hundreds of millions of euro trying to entice new customers. Um, and, and those costs then are passed on in higher premiums to the rest of us. Yeah, I, I know you're under pressure for time, Pierce. But one other element I find the very, very frustrating is that loyal customers who try to get through to providers are left with these incessant, repetitive, uh, did you know you can go online uh, and we do most of our, no, that's uh, that's not why I phoned. I want to speak to a human being. Yeah, if you ring the same company and, and you push the new business button, hello, how can I help you? Yeah, and again, it's one of the things that the, the central bank has found in, in Britain that there is, there is uh, tactics that are used by the insurance companies to discourage people from shopping around and for people not renewing their, their quotation with the existing company. That is an example there. Others, it's hard sometimes to get the, the documentation and, and so on within a prompt time to allow you to actually to, to shop around. And they have brought in measures in Britain or they're bringing in measures in Britain to actually to stop some of that. But look, this is a multi-billion euro uh, industry, as I said, they have been found by our own Competition and Consumer Protection Commission uh, to likely to be in breach of the law in terms of price signalling. They're under another investigation. You'll, your listeners will remember what was it about four years where there was dawn raids, where there was documents and computers seized in in in, in the industry's uh, buildings here in Dublin. That investigation is ongoing for other type of cartel type activity that is in the Irish market, and we had for years uh, the, the, this industry spoofing that it was all about claims that it was all about this, it was all about that, it wasn't and the evidence actually showed that while all of those things are relevant and they need to be addressed, the reality is this is an industry that are now making hyper profits uh, that have made quarter of a billion euro extra that have seen over a period of time motor insurance increases for, uh, in the region of about 78% and basically what this is is profit gouging and that's what they're going to do because they're in it for their profits, that's what their shareholders want where the responsibility lies with us as legislators and particularly the government to protect people, to protect people from this type of price gouging and fixing. Now, if, 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 if you know, the Democrats and, 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 and the Republican Party who are, you know, conservatives in America think that it is so bad that they've outlawed it there, if the Tories in Britain think it's so bad that they've outlawed it there, surely we can do the right thing and back my piece of legislation that will ban this type of practice and protect consumers and particularly 
we know that there are particular types of consumers that are worse hit from this. They are people with uh, who are elderly, they are people with intellectual disability, and they are people on low incomes who are actually hit by this. But some of this is very scary, Mike. You look at the... Um, the, the, the EOPA, which is the European regulator, they, they have done a report, uh, I look at it every year, but about two years ago, and they, they talk about how insurance companies can now drill down into videos that you post on Facebook, pictures that you post on Facebook, and they can now take information from that to actually de- develop a profile of you and, and use that profile then in fixing the premium. So are you saying if, if my, my Google Maps activity might, might be used by an insurance um, agent to, to map how much I travel? And, and assess the risk. Pierce, I, I know I have to leave you go. You have a 9.30, but an insurance broker called and says he's infuriated. Uh, he says, this is not happening in the broker market. The brokers go out and find you the best price. All I was saying is that the brokers need to make a margin too. And, and, and brokers, uh, absolutely, brokers do find you the best price. And what is very clear and what happened in terms of the, the, the central bank recently, which has brought new better transparency in terms of this market that brokers have to divulge if they are, um, if they are working for certain firms. But I would always, and I've met with many brokers in terms of the, uh, uh, the public meetings that I've done right across the country trying to bring awareness to this year. Uh, and one of the things we would uh, encourage people to do is go to a broker or to, 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 to do it yourself if you have the ability. I'm very supportive of it. But what you should not do is when you get that renewal premium, you shouldn't just allow it to automatically renew okay. or just accept it. It is a try-on and yet you might find that it is the best value in some cases, but in most cases it is not the best value and it is a way of trying to price gouge you. Okay, we kept you longer than we promised. Pierce Doherty, Sinn Féin finance spokesperson. Thank you very much. Now we have uh, a caller from McCarthy Insurance that we're going to come to in a moment uh, to refute some of the, uh, the allegations made there that brokers are profiting even more from this and uh, we certainly will uh, come back and explore that just in a moment this is the neil prenderville show tweet the show at neil red fm 104 to 106 red fm 25 to 10 good morning to you this is mick mulcahy paul cavanagh thanks for holding how are you very good mick now you're you. you're in mccarthy insurance is that the from i one the one on the malware so we have 15 offices in Munster now, okay. so uh, I'm, I'm on the Mel one. Okay. Uh, and um, we are insurance brokers representing 120 companies, Nick, uh, and not a handful, as Pierce said. Some may be, but uh, we are one of the few brokers that's left in Cork, uh, and people have asked themselves the question, why, why has that happened? Where are the AA gone? Where are all the other big brokers gone? The answer is insurance companies have put us out of business. And we are fighting. We we were actually the people who raised this five years ago, six years ago, with Charlie Weston. So um, Pierce is running on the back of this at the moment, and fair play to him. But uh, he's not the instigator of this. This has been going on for a long time. Okay, and, and what did you bring to Charlie Weston? In, in what form? Charlie, Charlie attended a conference in Dublin where he, where he saw uh, the debate going on as to what was happening with the insurance companies where they were quoting better prices direct than they were to the broker market or, the, or they were to existing customers, as has been pointed out. Now, as Pierce correctly said, this has been outlawed in the UK, recommended for outlawing yesterday in the UK. But I can tell you that all came on the back of what happened in Ireland. And the insurance companies here need to bow their head, actually. And Pierce is correct. He did call them out, and that, I love that. But when you asked him the question about brokers, he went straight on to America, 
which I don't understand. I'm talking about Ireland. I'm talking about Cork. And in Cork, if you come to us, we will get you the best price at renewal and we will get you the best price at new business. We have a team in Formoy who only deal with your renewal. They will look at your price. They will look at all the other prices in the market and we will get you the best price. Yes, we charge for that, but that's what you get from us. We're doing the business for you. You're doing the searching, you're putting in the time. And you have the expertise. Absolutely. And the expertise. And we have more companies than anyone else. We don't serve one company. We, As I said, we have 120 agencies. 17 of them deal with private motor. 30 of them deal with household. Yesterday, I spent the afternoon walking a part of the old city uh, with two of my colleagues um, to see why insurance companies weren't actually quoting or were quoting horrendous premiums uh, for houses in the area and we deduced it was because the houses were over 100 years old and were close to the river uh, I'm, I'm saying here on the radio this morning we will do those houses no problem we have a market for those and that's what brokers do they go out and find a market where the insurance companies have closed up Okay, I, I spoke at length last week to uh, Conor Faulkner, the Consumer Affairs Director with uh, the AA, and he was giving me a picture of some cherry picking going on in competition with the insurance um, agencies, the insurance companies. That they'll, uh, the, the likes of you and me, who might be middle-aged with a, with a large no-claims bonus, never had a claim or whatever, they'll compete heavily for that. But they don't want, for instance, the young people, and especially young males, on their books at all. You're, you're quite correct, Mick. I always say, are you the perfect risk? And, and a number of people fall, about 50% of the population, and that's even falling, fall into the perfect risk. They're, they're over 35, insured and spouse, insured and partner. They have the perfect car, 1.4, 1.5. They've never had a claim, and they've been loyal. Those people will get the best price, but the rest of us are paying for it. Mm-hmm. The rest of us who fall outside it, who've had penalty points, who've had a claim who have a car that's maybe two litres, who, uh, who, whose job is delivering. We are, we, are, we are all the people who fall outside of that, and then we are paying the higher premium for that. And cherry-picking, a number of companies will not insure young drivers. A number of insurance companies will not insure what I've just described to you. The minute you get penalty points, they're out the door. They don't want to talk to you. Okay, uh, and are you then able to to find somebody to insure young drivers? Because it's a very limited... Absolute, absolutely, yes, is the answer to that. Okay. It's difficult, I'll be quite honest with you, but it's better than what it was. Okay. Now, what would be better for insurance customers? Would it be for the VAT to be removed? Why is there value-added tax on insurance when it's no. state-mandated to be on every vehicle? Oh, sorry, there's, there's no VAT on insurance. There's not, okay. That's there's from a listener. So there is on your vehicle, unfortunately. On your vehicle, well, that's a different story altogether. Vehicle, but not on insurance, thankfully, and we don't want that introduced. That would just be in, what there is is a 7% government levy, which, which, which is another thing that the brokers are fighting. Okay. 2% of that is to pay for Quinn and his collapse. 2% is to pay for Setanta and what may come out of that in the future. And 3% is, would you believe, going into the government's own pocket. Okay, well, that figure goes straight away. I have raised this with government, Mick, going back um, to uh, Mary Harney's time. When Mary Harney was Minister for Enterprise, I went with a delegation from the Irish Brokers Association to Mary Harney about the 3% government levy, which is bringing in millions every year. I mean, I'm talking about 90 to 100 million every year. And where is that money gone? That was originally for the PMPA. Our listeners will remember the PMPA. 
they were bought out afterwards after they collapsed. So we, we, ha- we have a history of collapsing companies in this country, and it's all about pricing. RSA, Royal and Sun Alliance, they had to pay $500 million from their UK counterpart into Ireland to keep it afloat. Otherwise, you wouldn't have RSA at the moment. So the, the price gouging has been going on for a long time, and price, bringing the price, fighting for price as they were, and to get their customers in. That's not what the brokers do. The brokers look at the prices of the different companies and, and by the way, offer the best covers, as was described by your listener who, who texted you in there. They'd get, you get more cover. You can get the comprehensive driving motor cars, protect your bonus. Uh, you can get your breakdown. Not all breakdown covers are the same, for example. Some people just tow you in. Others will get you home. Others will bring the car to your own garage. So just visualize Breaking down, say, for example, in Mayo, you want your car brought to Cork. Mm-hmm. And can, 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 I, can I also emphasize that it's, it's important to read the document. Even if you stay with your current provider and you get them down two or three hundred quid or whatever, there's often yeah. reduced terms in the document that you must fight to get back on on the, uh, the agreement. That's happened personally to us as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and but like it, we as brokers, we are obliged to give you this information. We are obliged to advise you by the central bank on the best product for you. And that's why the number of brokers has fallen. There's seemingly only 300 of us left in the country. We're like travel agents. We're being forced out of the market by the insurers themselves. Would you believe that? Like, because we're the people giving the advice. Okay. If you look down the South Mall, how many of us are left? It used to be a hive of activity. Now there's two. Yeah, was that's it? crazy. Okay, just just stay with me a second. We've got Damien on line three. Hi, Damien. Hi, Mick. Um, good to talk to you since yesterday. I hope you're keeping well since yesterday. Oh, shoot. <laughs> as well as can be expected. You got 50% cheaper by checking online, did you? Yeah, well, I, I received my um, my quote. My yearly quote comes through the post every year from Accent. It was 753. Uh, and I... I'd always, I always kind of shop around for stuff anyway, so I went just straight onto Axe's website and I put in exactly the same details, no difference, uh, and the quote came in at €350, Euros. so it was over 50% cheaper. Um, now, what I had to do was I, I rang Axe and just said, you know, what, I asked them, why, why is the reason? They, they actually said, we don't know why, why it came up at that price compared to what it was. Um, and they just said, uh, unfortunately, we can't give you the 350 euro quote on your current policy so you'll have to wait for that one to end and start a new one but then you're forced to get a requote and that could be higher uh, no no I, I did, they honoured the 350 did they? Um, oh, fair they, play well, to them. yeah but, but I had to start a new you know like it wasn't to say basically a new insurance policy number a new, um, a new policy number but you kept your no claims bonus Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There was no um, like that was that, that was a huge difference. Like it was seven fifty three. I thought maybe I get it down, maybe a hundred euros. Well, it went down from seven fifty three to three hundred and fifty. So nearly four hundred euros cheaper. That's the savings that's out there. Thanks, Damien. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Paul, that's certainly the way uh, that people yeah, are well, now, well, especially well, with the time on their hands, well, uh, with the lockdown well, or with the restrictions. Uh, they have plenty of time on their hands to shop around. What he has just described, Mick, is indicative of what is happening with the insurance companies themselves. They're treating their own customers despicably. And you're dead right. And Pierce is dead right. Get out and shop around. There is plenty of time now to do it. All our offices are open or you can ring us online. We do not call people. On, we only give an indication when we're on our computers 
on the web. I'm actually moving away from the web completely because this whole system of where an insurance company, as has just been described, can give you a cheaper price online. Actually, one insurer, I think, is advertising you get your best price online. What a load of you-know-what. Paul, can you, can you, Paul Cavanagh, can you stay with me a moment, please? Because I have another caller I'd like to get on with you. Thanks. Back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. 12 minutes to 10. Good morning to you. And Brian is, is holding to talk to Paul as well. Good morning, Brian. Oh, just one second. Hello, Brian. My fault there. Hi, Brian. Hi, how's it going? Very good. Now... Now, I want to bring you on to Paul, but you say uh, that you, you had a very good experience dealing with them. Yeah, that's right. That's what McCarthy's, is it? It is indeed. Yeah, that's right. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was about 20 at the time, um, I had an accident, um, very minor accident. I maybe done five or six miles an hour, rolled into the back of a car in front of me, um, done about 200 euros damage total to my car and uh, the injured party's car. But uh, the insurance claims for injuries totaled up to 25,000 for the two people in the car. So when my renewal came a short time later, I was basically forced off the road with a quarter of 8,500 rising from 1900. So it left me in a tough spot, basically. I couldn't renew the insurance, uh, which led to me losing my job because I couldn't travel to work from living in the countryside and stuff. Um, I was stuck, I was snookered for a couple of months and we went to a McCarthy's insurance and made them aware of what was going on. They took everything into consideration and my father was actually in charge of them at the time so we went into the office, we had a meeting with them inside and they went through what they could do for me. So basically it turned out in the end anyway that I saved with McCarthy's um, over €6,000 as they got me insured for €2,200 for the year with my father as a named driver. Okay, I suppose you can't comment on individual cases, Paul, but that's kind of a service you offer? Paul? Okay, don't seem to have Paul there. Uh, Paul, are you there? Yeah, he's probably saving someone else a few thousand. No, he's there. Welcome back, Paul. No, you're fine. Um, I actually remember Brian, uh, and I remember that that particular case, and would you believe, Mick, that's indicative of what I deal with on a daily basis. And this is is going on all the time, and a number of people take it as normal when it's not normal. So the brokers are there to advise, they're there to help, and whatever we can do, we will do it to help the likes of Brian, because what happened, Brian, was outrageous. Okay, uh, look, I, I know we can't comment again into specifics on that case, and I want to no, take no, another caller. I know we can't, Mick, but it's happening every day, and it's happening people, and they don't know why their bill has gone up, and it's happening on house insurance, and they don't understand it, and their their policy terms are being changed at renewal date, and they don't understand it. So I'm just saying to people, without any obligation, reach out, call into one of the offices, to any broker, and get some advice. Okay, Brian, thank you for your input. I want to go to Kevin. Uh, you didn't have such a good experience with McCarthy. So Paul is online oh. uh, with us. So what happened with you, Kevin? So I took out a policy with McCarthy Insurance again last year, Mick, and, um, for my wife in September. And in October, uh, she decided to change her car in the new year. So in the meantime, I got a buyer for her old car which was a pretty fresh car. It was valued at 15,000 and 120 horsepower. 
Um, so, just to tie her over to the new year, I bought a small Toyota Yaris just to keep her ticking over. And so the Yaris would have been half the, the horsepower and a fifth of the value. So when I went to McCarthy's in Formoy just to change the policy, they wanted over 100 euros extra to move on to the small car. So I just couldn't understand it. So I got on to McCarthy's in Formoy and I eventually got on to Charles McCarthy and he said the reason was that it had a number of previous owners and that was the reason for the for the hike, which I still can't understand, you know. And okay, so Paul, I approached... Yeah. Is that a factor? It is, but it's, it, it's, it's actually going back to what Pierce mentioned earlier and may have gone over our heads, right? The insurance companies are actually putting all this analysis into, the inv- into individual clients. So in this particular instance, they worked out, because they have what they call risk intelligence, they worked out that this car had a number of previous owners, and accordingly they were going to charge this guy more. Which is totally unfair. I agree, it's totally unfair. But it's a price you would have had to pass on. are doing it daily. But you have to pass on that price. Well, it's a charge straight. If he doesn't pay us, he'll pay them because they will take over immediately and look for their money. So the only thing we can do in a situation like that is try and cancel the policy and take out a new one, which can be difficult if it's midterm because you may not get your money back from the insurance company. Okay. Kevin, I've got to leave you there because Pat also has uh, something to tell uh, Paul in McCarthy Insurance. Pat? Oh, thanks, Vic. Not too bad, Pat. Carry on. Um, no, it was about, I'd say probably when the insurance started going through the roof there, Mick, about eight or ten years ago, um, I had a policy with McCarthy. I was with them for a good few years, and um, it, was, it was a commercial policy, and uh, it was 315 euros. And I went in this following year to renew my insurance. No claims, no nothing. Same circumstances, same Jeep, 850 quid. And no explanation. Did you look for an explanation? I did. I asked him at the counter. I went into the counter. I said, I got it, I got it in the post. And I said, geez, that's crazy. So I went in and I said it to them. And I said, that's just the way things are. That's the way things are going. And that was my that was, That's what I was told. What could that be, Paul? And, well, that's what happened, if you recall, eight, ten years ago. Yeah, but that's exactly what happened. All the prices went through. Went, the, went, uh, uh, the prices went through the roof, and the prices are dictated by the insurance companies. But how could it triple? How could my insurance triple with no <laughs> claims, no nothing? Do you t- sorry, do you think we tripled it? Well, do you I think did. we tripled it. We didn't. It was your insurance company tripled it. And, all, and what it has been brought out now in this new investigation is that the insurance companies have been colluding and that they know when prices are going up. And, and like, they all put their prices up. But they basically robbed us. So, like, like I mean, that's crazy money. That was crazy yeah. money, like. <coughs> well, 315 to 850 for the same circumstances, like. At the time, it, it was what it happened. I'm sure if we leave the lines open there, we'll get thousands of callers that it happened yeah. to. But the prices are on the way back down since that time. They went from 800 to 7 to 6 to 5. The average price now is about 600, 550, 600 euros. That's the average price now. But you can get cheaper than that. Would you believe yeah. I saw a Jeep the other day for 150 euros? Wow, 150. Yeah. 150. So, will that be? Will that not be replicated today? Maybe. So my insurance is up now in November, and if I call into yourselves now, will you will you match my three hundred and fifteen quid again? Like, 
No, you can't. You do it at the price that's available on at the particular time. I will tell you, we will do our utmost to get you the cheapest premium in the market. Well, I was with McCarthy's for a good few years, like, and I just paid my insurance every year, and they didn't care whether I went or whether I stayed with him or winter. I did. I got no explanation whatsoever. That's just the way things are. Good luck. All right, Pat. Thank, thank you for that, Paul. I, I hasten to say it's it's become a buyer's market. In insurance, in provisions of utility, whether it's power, phone, uh, anything at all, it's become a buyer's market if people really have the smarts and the application to shop around. I would agree 100%. Uh, and as I, uh, the reason I rang in in the first place when I heard Pierce was the insurance companies are trying to put brokers out of business. With this, the same, this if you think about just for a second a small analogy, what Ryanair and Aer Lingus have done to travel agents... Think yes. about that now for a second. They, they, they want to take the booking themselves and not pay a commission. They want to take the booking themselves. And then when something goes wrong, how many people will not get their money back from Ryanair and haven't got their money back? Because they haven't got individual clout, whereas and a broker or a way, travel agent would. Personally, I am waiting since April for my money back from Aer Lingus. I can't even get through to them. I can't even email them. So I know we've gone to a different subject. Yes, but if, you, had a, if, you, if you were going through a bonded travel agent, your money would be covered. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. And go through a bonded insurance broker and you'll be covered 100%. Paul, it's been a pleasure talking to you and thanks for shedding all that light on the insurance industry. I'm uh, going to take thanks a break from news. Me. Thank, Thank you. you. Paul Kavanagh, McCarthy Insurance in the Mall. I recommend O'Leary's Brokers on the Ski Hard Road in Black Rock. They'll shop around and get you the best quote possible and with them over 20 years and they've always managed to get me very reasonable fully comp insurance. Gemma says, I think if people shop around it would help them. I saved 200 euro this year with chill insurance. It's even a better policy as it has breakdown assist with my last policy didn't have. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie And lots of comments on 086 and you're welcome to text yours in as well. My insurance went up at the start of the year. I went online and got another quote. I got it down from 72347 to 476. So 723 and a bit, down to 476. This was the same insurance company with no changes on my side. I have the same car, the same address. Is it worth checking online again? As it appears, loyal customers to companies aren't rewarded from my experience. Ellen says, my insurance is due at the end of the month and I got a quote of 510. In the meantime, I brought uh, and bought a new car, I'd say. It says brought here, but bought a new car and it jumped to 810. I looked around and I got a quote for 390 with another insurance company. I rang my insurance company to see could they match it and the best they could do was drop it by 70 euros. I've never had a claim and I was with this company uh, for six years or so. Dan says you get nothing for being loyal with insurance companies. People need to keep pricing around. It's the only way to save money. Uh, indeed, I know someone who has alarms set on their smartphone for every single utility. Just, uh, with a, a two, one or two weeks to go to the end of the contract, they'll never go into the uh, more punitive payments. You know the way you get a utility. It's 30 euros for the first 12 months. Then it goes to 59.95. Now, he never allows that to happen because he's shopping around before uh, that jump comes. And then when he has a new provider, he can leverage and get uh, service from his old provider probably at a cheaper rate again. So you just do need to keep shopping around. Christina says, I was with a company and when it came to the renewal of my quota, it went up by 500 euros. Even after no claims or penalty points, I shopped around again, got insurance with 123.ie for 700 euros cheaper. 
I think the renewals catch people when they think it's easier to just stay with the company you're with and not go through the hassle of shopping around or trying to provide your no claims bonus. Aileen says, I alternate between Bank of Ireland Insurance and AXA every second year. I can never find cheaper companies personally. However, you'll always get a better quote as a new customer. Get a quote online and then ring the company and tell them you found something cheaper and they'll always bring it down. So the companies do seem to have that latitude. And uh, if you shop around, you will save yourself some money. And I know it's a hassle. And I know it can be uh, tearing your hair out and all that kind of thing, putting an hour or two into it. And at the end of the day, you're saving 200, 300 euros. Isn't it worth an hour of your time? Eileen, good morning. Hi, Eileen. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Now, you're a named driver for 32 years. That's right, yes. And unfortunately, in January, my husband uh, was tragically killed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. And um, so when I went for renewal, um, basically because I was only named driver on his policy, I was treated like I was a leper, you know? Um, I, Aviva wouldn't even quote me. I don't know if I'm supposed to name names, not, but it's the truth, so, you know, I don't mind. Um, they couldn't give me a quote and they would give me a letter saying that they had refused me. And basically, it was explained if three companies refuse you, you get three of those. Off. Yeah, you, you, so, if you get three of those, the, the ombudsman can, I think, direct a, yes. a company to quote you. But that quote could be outlandish. Absolutely, and I mean the one I, I like, like I say, driving for thirty-two years, fifty-two years of age, and to think that you come to this stage in your life. To be honest, I found it soul destroying, and um, as you can imagine, life was hard enough. And you try and, and get on with stuff, and this is what you're up against. Okay. You know? I, I'm just surmising here that for 32 years, yourself and your husband had one car, not two. That's right. And so, other than change yeah. around and, and become the main driver each and every year and, and alternate, yeah. it was yeah. quite natural your husband would renew his own policy with you as the named driver. But this apparently didn't build you any credit whatsoever. Nothing. I'm telling you, I was like... I, you know what? I felt like a child of three or four when it was coming to renewing my policy that I just didn't exist. All my driving was for nothing. I have two penalty points. I load my hand up. No claims, no convictions, no nothing, just the penalty points. And um, they're almost gone. And like I say, I was in no man's land, you know. I mean, they were going to try. I was with a broker. They were going to try and get my husband's no claim bonus put in my name. And I spent two or three weeks on the phone now. As you can imagine, life has been very, very hard. Um, and then you're making phone calls every day. And every day you have to make the phone call again. It's annoying. So I was at the end of my tether. I actually said to people, you know what? I'm going to just sit into my car and drive. And I'm not going to get insurance. Wow. Well, that's I, not, I, I that's not that. to be advised yeah. anyway. Because you're putting <laughs> other people in danger. <laughs> I know. Absolutely not. Plus, you it's, know it's, 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 it's a jailable offence, I would imagine. No, I'm sure. You know, you know what? I would have done time for it because I was jumping through hoops and I was just so disillusioned with everything. It, you know what? It, it, it's more than car insurance in my situation, which is another story. But it's just like your life, you know, you know you've been there 32 years, your name driver. And I was asked to, you know, get proof of my driving, you know, proof of my... Um, I suppose my, my time as an insured driver. Yeah, I, I was reading about one, one of our service providers at home whose profits had gone up under new management. And I said, oh, how, how very nice for them. Mm-hmm. 
And then yeah. I tried to get through to them because I had inadvertently gone over the end of my 12-month contract. The price had doubled and I wanted mm. to get the utility I'm talking about down back to the same price. Um, 57 minutes on the phone. I have a screenshot. Okay. I can post it if anybody uh, doubts uh, the veracity uh, of it. I have a screenshot. 57 minutes waiting uh, on the phone. Uh, actually, now that you say that, it's strange. I've been Because I've been trying to take names off of different, you know, between land registry, between Sky Television, between lots of things that my husband's name was on. So I've been in contact with so many different companies. And every time you ring, it's, I am sorry, but due to the current circumstances, we are experiencing a large volume of calls. That's where I want to throw my phone at the wall. Uh, did, did you know we offer our best service online? Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's and everybody you ring. They don't want to put a human being in front of you anymore, no, unless I, you're bringing new business. Can, can I ask you, I believe your husband got killed accident. killed in an accident, Eileen. That's right, yes. Okay, so you, you were very suddenly made a widow. That's right, at 52, yes. At 52? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, going about his normal day's work and just an unfortunate, tragic accident and now he's no longer with us. Okay, yes. so you're, you sudden, know, you're suddenly a widow. Can, can, yes. can I ask you if it's not too difficult to give me from a, no. an, a, a newly widowed perspective mm-hmm. the myriad of things, you just mentioned some of them there, that you have to try and now sort out in, in, in the sorting out of affairs. Not yes. least of all getting your name uh, you know, at the top of an insurance policy and getting a quote. But yes. uh, changing over bank accounts, changing over uh, TV, telephones. How hard has that been? Shocking. I even said to my solicitor recently, there should be a company set up that once somebody passes, you give them your name, your address, your date of birth. You say, these are all the things I need changed, swapped around, names taken off of. Would you please do it for me? Because like you said, you're waiting on the phone to speak to somebody. They won't speak to you. But I've gotten a bit cuter and I opt for the one that I think is the most likely to be answered. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if I ring the bank, I go for stolen cards because I think they'll answer that faster. Yeah, and then say, transfer me. And a lot of people are yeah, doing that. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I do. And I mean, it's, it's with everything. But I mean, I've been, I, I suppose I'm a straight talker and I've been so blunt with stuff in the last six months. I, I even surprised myself down to being asked, now I better not name the government. Please, oh, please, please don't. <laughs> but no, it's nothing bad. But I was on to a lady about, you know, taking a name from something. And she sat in her chair in her office and said to me, oh, I'm very sorry. I need to speak to the um, the named individual. Okay, now. Under GDPR. Uh, yes, but that was my husband who is deceased. Mm-hmm. And was there any I understanding sat, on, on that basis? I just sat, and I had emailed her and I had told her the situation so she knew exactly this is a widow she needs to take a name from this and she knew my story and she still went on the phone and told me oh I'm sorry I can't speak to you I have to speak to the uh, I won't say the policy but the holder mm-hmm. and I just I actually turned around and I just said to her he's dead can I, so can I just say I, I think you've hit on a, a remarkable idea mm-hmm. that, that an agency could be endorsed yes. and sanctioned by the government yeah. To facilitate those who have who who are subject to a bereavement, 
uh, especially yeah. those who are unexpectedly a widow or a widower. Yeah. Um, uh, whereby, okay, you've got to get your birth cert, your passport, your garden certification mm-hmm. that you are yeah. who you are uh, and mm-hmm. bring all of whatever is required as documentation to this government agency yeah. to say, uh, you know, anything I supply you from here, my Bank of Ireland details, our AIB saving account, our TSB mortgage, uh, our Ulster Bank, whatever. Uh, yeah. You know, these are all our bank accounts. Yeah. These are all our insurance policies. These are our uh, driving insurance policy. Uh, I, I need you to uh, erase is, is yeah. the wrong word. I need you to accommodate me in, yeah. in defining legally that I am now on my own and that this person cannot yeah. ever be asked for again under any GDPR regulation and, yeah. and, and that you don't have to be holding for hours and hours on end to, yeah. to faceless and nameless people yeah. to talking to robots. Yeah, and it's every day, and it's, you know, you explain to people, my husband is deceased, uh, for some reason, for me, maybe not for other people, even a name on an envelope is quite traumatic. So I've, you know, said, would you change this? Day in, day out, it still comes, they still send the bill, the letter, the whatever it is, in, in, in his name, and it's not that I'm disrespecting, but it's just so hard, you know, you get an envelope for somebody who's no longer alive, so what do you do with it? Do you open it? Do you put it in the bin? Do you, you know? Yeah. You don't need reminders in life. Nobody needs reminders. Well, I, I certainly don't. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm living this, this nightmare. But it's just every, I, I mean, I can't say that I've been onto any agency, any government body, anything that has made my life easy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I'm jumping through hoops. Uh, is it because, in a way, we live in a patriarchal society? And what I mean by that is, is, is that the lady takes the man's name, so you become, uh, you know, I won't say subservient, <laughs> because that's, that'll open all sorts of doors. But, you know, you, 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 you take your husband's name. And, yes. and when something happens like that, um, mm-hmm. it's very hard for you to assert your own equality okay. in the relationship. Absolutely, like. and uh, and more than that, you know, you 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 let the man do certain jobs in the house, you know, and you don't do them, and then the next thing is you realise, oh, I need to change that bulb, and there's nobody to do it for you. I live mm-hmm. on my own. I'm I'm in the country. I'm away from my family, and um, so I have to depend on the goodness of people to cut my lawn, or and, and you know, people say, oh, get off your ass and cut your lawn. I've had back surgeries and stuff, so I wouldn't be that. Um, able to do these jobs, you know, and um, but you're you're under compliment to, compliment to people, and the funny thing is, and I know this might sound you know kind of bad, but at the time I felt I would never again have to ask anybody to do anything. I felt the whole goodwill of everybody, but that slowly fades as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, bar your own family and one or two good friends, you're left there, and it's like you've now become something different. You're not the couple, you're not the it's like almost people avoid you. And what you know? about what about nights alone? Are there moments when it gets on top uh, of you and you cry and you you cry every day. You 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 know, you you um yeah, life has become very hard. Um but you know you have to soldier on, you have to get up, go out there, put on the happy face and you know you know, you don't want to be bringing people down. You know, there's enough ground with COVID then hit us very quick. And that really, I mean, I know people have suffered immensely. So I suppose put our last on top of that, you know. And my daughter was nursing in COH in COVID ward and stuff like that. Uh, my other girl is a teacher. So they're both out kind of frontline, you know. Um, and you're worried about them every day that they're going to 
come home with something. It's been some year um, for you, Eileen. Absolutely. It's been horrendous. And like I say, just the smaller things in life would make it easier. And, and like I say, renewing my insurance, oh, you, you don't really exist. You've been 32 years a name driver, so, you know, we don't count you. And like the funny thing is, with my 32 years, I know youngsters, and I'm not saying youngsters should be, you know, paying huge money. I don't think they should. But they're getting cheaper policies even now than I am. You know, even my daughters have cheaper insurance. Are, are you insured now? I am, I because like I said, I was at the broker and they got me um, a good enough quote. But, you know, like I say, is it next year or the year after then I will start having my own no claims bonus. But like, you know, we shouldn't be penalised for being named drivers. There's so much. I, I often wonder, are these numbers just pulled out of the sky? And I mean, I've never yet paid a premium that I've gotten into the letterbox. I always shop around. Okay, and that's the advice, yeah. really, of, of today's programme, that there are bargains there and there are better pricing if you shop around. Absolutely. And, and, ho- and hopefully, that, you know, a, a company with what I'd call a leaky customer base, that don't respect yeah. the people who are loyal to them all along, they're going to have yeah. a leaky customer base, and they're going to have to take these people back anyway if they want to win them back with competitive yeah. pricing. Why not respect the people who are with you for many, many years instead of price gouging them? Well, this is it. And I mean, I would say that the company we had been with for a lot of our time were the company who wouldn't quote me. Okay. Wow. You know, and like you say, that new company that needs to be set up um, to make life easier for anybody who loses anybody. And, you know, I know you can go to a solicitor and get it all done and stuff. But, you know, some of us don't have the funds to go and do this as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. A, a state funded agency that would accept yeah. um, power of attorney, I suppose, would be, would be the... The, the correct way. So you, you, you yeah. have power of, of attorney now that your husband has gone over all of his affairs to regularize them into your own name. End of. Once yeah. you're not divorced. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, you, you still, you're married, but it still doesn't feel like you're married, you know? Okay. Eileen, we wish you the very best. Thank you so much. I hope, I hope 2021 is a lot better to you. Well, here, yeah, it can't be worse. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good morning, Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Morning. How are uh, you? No, you're good. You're getting insurance for your daughter. Well, I'll tell you what it was. I, I had um, uh, an insurance policy with AXA, and I have been with AXA for about 13 years. And in fairness, the, the most frustrating thing about AXA is that every year you have to ring in and see can you get a better price. And they undoubtedly reduce it by 50, 70, uh, 70 euro. I think that's the same with, with that's not just AXA. That's every insurance company, really. Well, I understand that. But i tell you what happened this year. We... I, I was driving a, a Volvo and I decided to uh, change the car from uh, to, to get my daughter because she doesn't have a driving test yet. She has all her lessons done. She's waiting for a, what do you call it? She's waiting for a cancellation. She's done all her driving lessons, so she's up to date on those. So I decided, look, I'll, I'll ring Axel for a quote. They sent me out a quote of €2,300 on the quote. Okay. So I, I, said, I rang them back and I said, look, I said, did you pick these numbers out of a telephone book or something? And he said, no, that's the price. So I said, look, I said, can you do any better? He said, probably around 2200 probably could do is take probably 200 euro. So I said, fine. So I rang a car at the insurance. The lady on, on the phone was fantastic. She said, she had a tapping away at a computer. She said, look, the best I could do for you is 1136 the what? 1136 <laughs> euros. Almost apologetically. Uh, yeah, you, you took the hand off her, did you? Oh, <laughs> took the hand off her. She's but walking down Pana with one hand. <laughs> hand in the air going, yes. 
but that was just the first phone call. So I, I went with McCarthy Insurance, but my broker is AXA. No, your broker is McCarthy. The company is uh, no, insurance company is AXA. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm insured with AXA. Yeah. So, but AXA couldn't do that for me. But over fifty percent saving on my insurance. Okay. By going through McCarthy Insurance. All right. So well I done. Rang, so just quickly, I, I, I rang about my wife's car. They they gave a cheaper quote by about seventy euro to AXA. And I rang AXA back. They said, look, I have a quote there for 70 euro cheaper. Oh, we couldn't do that. I said, fine. I said, cancel the policy. Mm-hmm. And he said, fine. So I said, are you not prepared to fight for these policies? It's, it's only when enough policies are not renewed that they'll come back to the table and think, what are we doing wrong here? Well, put it this way. I rang him. I said, yeah, man, look, you're quite happy to lose policy. You lose a customer. So you've lost two cars now. And we will be changing the house insurance as well. Mm-hmm. Well, so we, we, we were with a broker for 21 years. And that would be two cars in house at a very minimum. Uh, yeah. And one by one, they'll fall like Skittles, I can guarantee you, because the first, the first saving we made shopping around was 50%. Yeah. So there you are, Jerry. Yeah. Thanks yeah, a million. Again, all right, take, have a good day. Thanks, bye-bye. We're flying through them. John, good morning. Morning. Hi, you, you, you got insurance? I did indeed, Michael. Um, John, what you... Um, oh, John. No, you're, you're, a, you're a taxi driver, so your insurance must be quite high. Well, it was an average. We pay about two grand a year at the moment um, for tax insurance, but mine went from two thousand to fourteen thousand over a scratch and a bumper. And when I got onto the insurance company about the the, the the hike, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't move, just pay out to fourteen thousand, which meant they were putting me out of business basically because that wouldn't be viable. But when I went to my solicitor and threatened them with a solicitor, that's all, they dropped it on to eight thousand, Michael. So these companies will bend if you push and put pressure on them. Okay, and how, how much is taxi insurance now on average? 2,000, is it? On average, most guys are paying around 2,000. So if you've got 20 years no claims bonus, you'll, you'll get it for about 2,000. And I know guys out there are paying six and seven and 8,000 a year right now for taxi insurance right now, mate. I do as well. 2,000 seems a bit cheap. Now, my apologies if 2,000 isn't cheap, uh, but yes. it, it would seem cheap to be in business and carrying for a ward. Well, think about it now, Michael. You drive your car the very same way as I do. You put the same amount of people into it the same way as I do. They could claim the same money off you as they could off me. What makes my policy different? I'm not taking money from them. But the, the money makes my insurance more expensive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I guess if, if you're driving for a ward, you're driving a lot more than I would be. Maybe so. Maybe I'm out the road a wee bit more than the thing is. But would it mean that I'm paying four or five times over the odds? And should I be paying that kind of money for insurance? Mm-hmm. It's That's a, just it, one of my points, Michael. It's a fair question. Thanks a million, John. Best of luck. Are you still an, in and around the Rochestown Passage area, yeah? I'm still here, but I'll be found down in the, in the corner so you can be down here. <laughs> Thanks a million, John Roach. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Cheers, bye-bye. one 850 text 0868 or email neil at redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at neilredfm. Coming up on 10.30, it's amazing. You look at social media and if you believe everything you read, Leo Varadkar is in Germany today. Uh, but no, a statement by the uh, to Leo Varadkar just this morning saying, yesterday I was informed that I was a close contact of someone who tested positive for COVID-19. I was swabbed yesterday and the test has come back negative. In line with public health advice, I will be restricting my movements to home and outdoor exercise. There are no implications for anyone who's been in close contact with me. I am perfectly well and will be working from home. So that's a statement by Antonista Leo Varadkar. As I say, social media had him in Germany today. Nope, he is at home 
and working from home, as so many of you are. Uh, now, due to an electrical matter and staying on matters motoring, the Cork County Motor Tax Office, both postal and counter, will be closed all day today, Wednesday the uh, 23rd of September. Due to an electrical outage, an electrical matter, don't head to the Cork County Motor Tax Office today. Uh, both postal and counter services are closed and will be closed all day uh, today, Wednesday, September 23rd. Now, I paid €3,300 two years ago for my insurance on a brand new car. I was 20, but regardless, my insurance has dropped a lot since. But uh, like all others on air, on air, I uh, personally have gone with Liberty Insurance and got €300 cheaper quote online. And they did match it, thank God, 750 My boyfriend drives a 192 sports car. Understandably high enough insurance. He's been driving six years and his insurance is 1900 And he lives uh, on the north side. I did an online quote with the same insurance on his car. I live in Balancholic. Also got a quote from my family home in Model Farm Road. Same price. And my insurance was 1300 on his car. It's a 600 euro difference. But he has more experience and more no claims bonus. So because I'm a woman, and it seems because I live on the south side, where I live, the insurance is cheaper. It's ridiculous. Also, my mother hasn't been insured for two years, as she was looking after my grandfather and any insurance company, are looking for plus 5,500 or just won't quote her. I'm not sure as to the regulations. If you let your insurance or you become uninsured, let it lapse because you don't need to drive. Uh, I think you only have a year maximum before certain restrictions come back in because you haven't been technically on the road or haven't been insured to drive. I don't think you can leave insurance lapse or be uninsured for too long, like two years uh, would probably be pushing it, but uh, I'm open to uh, some detail on that one, if anyone can shed any light there. Good morning, John. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. Now, you're an over-50 professional truck driver. Yes, sir. Okay. What's your insurance history? You, you drove motorcycles all your life. Uh, previously, I had cars back in the good old days when quotes were about four or 500. Mm-hmm. I stopped for a while just to go on motorbikes and I, I lapsed for three years in my company. Three years? To go back to, yeah, three years. When I went back, they said, after two years, you start again as a new customer. Ah. So that's shedding light on it there. I didn't think you were going to, but that's that's good to know. Two years is the maximum, is it? Mm-hmm. That's what they told me. Okay, so what's your cheapest quote this year? Uh, I went back to Omani, Boyle and Golden and they said 4,000 euros. Okay. And I said, why? And they said, basically, we don't know you. So, I got a bit of a and I was asked to leave the shop. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, you do know me. I'm, I'm a professional truck driver. I have driven cars. I have a successful, no claims career driving motorcycles. I can drive mm-hmm. anything. Uh, as a professional truck driver, you could probably drive a bus. I have a bus license as well. Yes. As a truck driver, you probably have a trailer license. Yes, I have all the licenses. And we have to go to school every year just to, keep, to maintain our license. Yeah, that's on an 18-wheeler, I guess, yeah? No, rigids. Oh, rigids, all right. So not Arctic. Not Arctic. Okay, and, and technically then, for insurance purposes, they don't know you, and all of that driving history is, is just erased. Means nothing to them. Okay. Okay. I can only say, uh, or hope, I suppose, that the quotes will start to come down, get one year behind you. Yeah, somebody said if I get it, if I become a name driver on somebody else's car, I can transfer that no claims eventually. So I might try that. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not sure because we had the, the caller whose husband died tragically this year who was given no credit for 32 euro, uh, years as a named driver. So you want, you want to get that, get that one in writing if you can, if they're offering that. It's like I'd be sticking with the bike for the summer. <laughs> it's just 200 euros a year. Yeah. yeah, it's not the same comfort though, is it, even though it's enjoyable? No, it's not. All the right. As well, yeah. Thanks okay. for that, John. Appreciate it. No problem. Cheers, thanks. Bye-bye. Lots and lots of texts on this issue. Ashling says, shop around, even with the company offering you a a renewal. I get mine lower year-on-year by shopping around online and by ringing companies. Muriel says, I got my cheapest ever insurance this year from AXA. Uh, Morris says, Allianz have good deals and I've been with them a few years now. The premiums stay relatively the same. Jerry says the best way to do it is uh, do your insurance online. It's cheaper, but if you do it over the phone with a company, it seems to be dearer. Uh, I don't know is that because there's more cost involved in having someone answering the phone and staffing an office and light and heating and holidays and insurance and uh, water rates and all that kind of thing. You'd imagine that must be it. Brenda said I went to Aviva last year as I wanted a deal for my son with driving lessons and learning to drive, which is a great service that Aviva do provide to young drivers. It was the same price as I already had, but when it came for a renewal this year, it was about €250 cheaper. So Aviva are worth a call if you need insurance. I am told, though, that if you haven't done, uh, if you do the lessons with a registered provider and then you get your license and approach Aviva, they won't quote you as a new fully-fledged driver unless you've done uh, their own, in you know, their... In their their program of uh, lessons that bring you into their system, uh, which you know is understandable in a way, but uh, I wonder which companies are now taking new eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old fully fledged drivers who have got their their driving test. There must be very few. Ailey says my insurance is up next month. I'm with the same company for the last six years. It's gone up a little each year. I've sixteen years now claims. I've my full license for twelve years now, and I never had points in my license, but this year. It's gone from 565 euros to 921 euros. It's crazy. And there is no explanation to the jump. So I shopped around and got a fantastic deal for over 25s for 445 euro with all the bells and whistles. And I was delighted. And one more text on the topic. Davina says, my daughter is 20. She got insurance with a company. They sent all the documents back as required and they cancelled the policy. Uh, Their excuse was the uh, direct debit mandate was dated wrong. They never emailed, rang us, or left a message in her insurance account to say it was wrong. She nearly had €700 paid down as a deposit, and now she has no policy. They have escalated to their claims department. It's bad enough for young people to have to wait for a theory test, then uh, do their lessons, then get their full test, and with all of this hassle. Money makers don't care about kids trying to get sorted on the road. And one final one just popped in. My husband has died uh, died 10 years ago. He's gone 10 years. He died at 50 years of age. I still get letters in his name. My TV license every year comes in the door in his name. I gave up ringing uh, to tell them he is dead. And uh, why don't professional drivers get a discount on their private insurance? It would stand through reason uh, that they're driving professionally and they would be you know, up to speed, I suppose. And that's a good question. Why don't uh, professional drivers get a discount on their private insurance. Now to a different topic and to Katie on line two. Good morning, Katie. Morning, how are you? I'm very good, but you are a Leaving Cert student let down. Yeah, I am. Please don't mention the college name or your surname now, or you know, you might get, your, get yourself even more let down. So let's try yeah. and keep it sa- sanitised if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, uh, in the beginning of sixth year, we were given an exam number um, and a CAO number, which 
are two different things. One is for when you're doing the exam, so you don't have your name on it. Um, and the CAO number is so that you can put down all your courses um, with, for basically all your course choices. Um, on the 7th of September, we were given our um, leading set results by predicted grades. And like, to be honest, I was happy with what I got. I didn't really expect more. And I know that probably hundreds were let down because they didn't feel like it was fair. They might have got too much or too little. Um but I just accepted what I got and I said that I'd wait till the 11th of September, which was going to be the first round offers. Um, and I got my first round offer, the course, exactly what I wanted, which was general nursing. I got exactly what I wanted. But I did realise that my point, there was a bit of a difference, like the points for nursing are quite high. Um, and mine were like a bit under it, but I just thought, you know, that I was lucky or whatever and I was happy. Um, I did the whole registration did like everything with Susie sorted, my all my fees are paid for, all the registration is done. Um and I was due to be in there today for my core and for set up the ID cards and stuff like that. Um and to start next week, like I've my classes and the whole lot. And then yesterday evening I got a call from the CEO, some man, I don't know who he was, it was from Galway. He never stated what his name was. And he just said basically that I never achieved what I was meant to um, I'm no longer entitled to my place and that I've no course to go to. Bearing in mind, I denied other colleges thinking that I had a place. So now they've left me high and dry with no course at the end of September when I'm meant to be starting. So you, you were given an offer and then the offer was subsequently withdrawn, even though you went through all of the yeah. all of the machinations, of the, as it were, to get everything ready to start. Yeah, that's what happened. That's beyond um, heartbreaking, isn't it? It is, because like when that's what you're set on and you think that you have it I would have preferred just to be told that I didn't have it rather than it be given to me and then be taken back off me Um. so yeah I think it's ridiculous. and I, there's pro- it's probably not just me really realistically there's probably more Um. and the CEO were trying to say that my exam number is wrong but that was what was given to me in school first day and I'd say something if I was given two numbers and it was my own mistake that I wrote the wrong one down I've went through all my accounts to see did I update my information and make sure everything was correct and everything is spot on so I can't really see where the error happened and now I have no place. I wonder with the thousands of people contesting the Leaving Cert results, is there pressure on the CEO to, to take back courses? I'm just surmising. I don't know, but maybe, but I, that's not fair, do you know? Not, not when you've been offered one. When you've been given it and when you're due to go in today and then... Well, when, you, when you're offered a position with the CAO, be it your first, second or third or whatever, and, and you accept, you, you are by default um, cancelling the other offers really because you haven't, exactly. you won't have responded in time. Yeah, like um, the thing is I accepted it and maybe like a, I think it was a day or two later um, one or two other got on to me and I was like, you know, respectfully like, no, um, I got a place in my first choice where I really wanted to go and they were delighted for me. And obviously then that place goes to somebody else, obviously, because they deserve it. And I'm, I'm not going to stay on the list if I don't need it. So the places were given rightfully to other people. But now when my place is gone, and more than likely someone has my place now, and I, I'm left with nothing. And can you find out how they, how they ascertain that your number may be wrong or if it was wrong? Yeah, we. I rang uh, my school to start with to see was that definitely the right number that's on my records? And they said that it was spot on. Then I rang the CAO 
um, and I got onto a woman. It wasn't the man who rang me. It was a different woman. And to be honest, they weren't the friendliest because I presume they're up the walls. But, you know, it's somebody's future and it's somebody's college. They they need to take the time to help people out, I think. Um, but if, but if they, did they let you pay fees? Yeah, everything's like... So Susie um, paid for my college, um, but then there's other fees that come with it, like a capitation fee and all these other things. And that's all paid for, everything. I just... What's angering is I don't understand where the... Uh, error when like how it happened because if CAO and the state examinations and the colleges are all in coherence with one another surely this error would have came up weeks ago but yet it came up six days before I went to start college But if they've taken the fees and, and registered you into classes surely your supposed contract is now with the college and the CAO have no power yeah. to take it from you I would imagine That's what I thought too but that's what they said and I'm just I don't know where to go now I don't know like what route to take I don't know if maybe one of the other colleges will um, give me my place but sure like other people probably have that now rightfully so but I, I don't know Okay well we'll see if we can look into it a little bit for you but uh, yeah. uh, as they say the clock is ticking and you don't have much exactly. time left mm-hmm. Like I I don't want to wait another year obviously I'd love to start like all my friends are starting and that was the one thing I wanted to do and that's what I was set on, like, but then for it all, just like, the ideal college, the ideal course, um, yeah, it's just being pulled from under my feet and I'm left high and dry, really. Okay, well, listen, thanks for bringing it to us and uh, no I, I appreciate that and hope we can get some help and advice for you on where to go Please, next, Katie. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, thanks. Thanks. Bye. That's a sad situation and something that shouldn't really be allowed to happen, I would imagine. Uh, if the girl was given her CAO offer, accepted it, uh, to the detriment of other offers, I guess, and then was uh, registered into school and fees taken. How can she have a course taken from her? Uh, I'm asking the hypothetical question. Brosnan, Boyle and Golden in Mallow are top task. Ask for Julianne if you're looking for insurance. Uh, ask for Julianne. Uh, Super Value Insurance is very good. I'm with them two years now after being a name driver on my husband's insurance for 13 years. I suppose a lot of people are, you know, labouring under, under the illusion that there are three or four or five big insurance companies. But uh, if listening to... Uh, Paul Kavanagh from uh, McCarthy's. It seems there's 120 out there. I wouldn't have thought of Super Value. Uh, wouldn't have thought of Brosnan, Boyle and Golden. But they're all out there for people who want to shop around. Hi, Mick, could you ask the listeners, how long does it take for a Garda fine to arrive in the post? I'm waiting over two weeks and just afraid it's gone to the wrong house. Uh, of course, if you get the fine and you don't, uh, you don't respect it and, and deal with it, yeah, you're in bigger trouble. So that's a worry. Thanks, says Terry. So how long does it take for a Garda fine to arrive in the post? Uh, waiting over two weeks and just afraid it's gone to the wrong house. I would imagine call to your local Garda station and at least log it uh, in the Pulse system so that if it has gone astray in the post, at least you've some recourse if the fine is increased or the penalties are increased in that situation. It's a quarter to 11. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Our programme is 185-105-106, contactable by phone, by text or by WhatsApp, 0868104106. And the Neil Prendival Show, always contactable by email, neil at redfm.ie. Uh, that young girl needs to get a solicitor involved for breach of contract, uh, and that's awful on that poor girl. They would want to revolt, uh, uh, revolt that or review it, I don't know, A.S. AP. Okay. So now then, we are going to line one and to David. Good morning, David. Good morning. Morning, David. How are you? Very well. Now, you you got a message from the HSE. 
a message from the HSE. To say your son was a close contact of someone who had tested uh, yeah, positive. Yeah, basically what the situation was is that um, my son is going to a particular school, yeah? Mm-hmm. And um, the, I got a message from the HSC on a quarter to six on Monday saying that my son was a close contact of um, another pupil in the school that has uh, uh, say, tested positive for COVID-19. Okay. And the situation being, obviously, if traces back to um, last Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Okay. When did you get and the notification? On Monday evening. Okay, so Thursday. Well, Wednesday and Thursday. So four uh, or five days in. Yeah, and the, and the school were aware that the child had been for a test and everything like that, but still carried on to leave my child in a situation where, like, all the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that he could infect anybody. If that make, if what I'm saying to you is making sense. It is making sense, yes. That the school actually knew that this was happening. Well, the, the school, allowed the, the school the knew that the, that the student had gone for a test. The school knew the student had gone for a test, yeah. A okay. number of students had gone for a test. And they were actually aware of this, but when I spoke to the school, they turned around and they said to me that the government have issued them with strict, a three-line sentence basically stating that under no circumstances are they to contact any parent or anybody to inform them of another, you know, of somebody in the school going for a test. But I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous, like especially when he was sit- sitting right next to this student and on the same desk. Okay, so uh, what you're saying is that your son could have picked it up and spread it himself with, with well, other he, he contacts. Could have, yeah, and given it to his grandmother, who's 84 years of age, with underlying conditions, everything like that. So we don't know where we stand at the moment now. So you I think, mean, you think there should be something in place? Something should oh, yeah, be in place I mean, to warn people when there are suspected cases? Yeah, well, I mean, if, well, especially the close contact. I mean, if you're in a situation where you're sitting next to a pupil in a school and he tests, he, he's off with uh, suspicion of uh, COVID, I mean, at least tell the guy, you know, the kid who's sitting next to him, like, that to give the school the authority that they can actually ring up and just say, look, we're sorry, there's been a situation, would you mind if your son could stay out of school for a couple of days till this is confirmed? They don't have to do it with the whole class or the whole thing, but just the close contacts that he has, the young has had. Yeah, okay, so the, the schools say they can't inform parents until there's a positive test. And it's strict policy that the government state that they cannot inform anybody. Now, I know what the people can say, oh, with medical things, it's private and stuff like that. But, I mean, you don't have to give no names, no nothing. Just say, keep your son off school for a couple of days. Because, I mean, what you're doing here is, like, I mean, all these kids have grandparents. They're out in, in doing different things, like me going to different clubs, doing whatever I do myself. And I mean, we're just open-loaded shotguns. So your son had the test yesterday then? Yeah. And did this happen in, in, in a sparsely populated room? Was it, was it busy? Was there no, many no, more he students went out, there? he went out to um, the Mallow Road um, test centre and basically, we just say, the, the time would just say roughly two o'clock and it was just full of kids. And had and the test. Like how, how long will you be waiting? How long will you be waiting for the results of that test? Oh, God knows. 
But I mean, if you take, would you say, as I was speaking to your researchers, they're just saying to them, like, if I, if I was a government minister, should I have it in, in, in two hours? And the thing about it is, you know, I mean, if you take the health minister who got his test and basically they suspended it all, uh, without even he's confirmed yes or no whether he had it or not I know Stephen Donnelly ended up not having it but they still shut down the doll shut down everything so that for a couple of hours so that oh, it couldn't be spread on to anybody else but it's okay to um, infect the whole school and uh, leave grandmothers parents everybody vulnerable yeah, and, and, and there's the there's the statement from uh, Tony Leo Varadkar uh, as well yesterday I was informed I was a close contact with someone now this is admittedly who tested positive for COVID-19 yeah yeah. Leo Varadkar was swabbed yesterday. The test came back negative, so he yeah. doesn't have COVID-19. But yeah. in line with public health advice, I'll be restricting my movements to home and outdoor exercise. There are no yeah. implications for anyone who's been in close contact with me. I'm perfectly well and will be working from home. What you're asking is, uh, because you're still awaiting the results of this test, uh, how come your son wasn't allowed to act and work and do schoolwork from home? No, no, no. What I'm saying, what the point I'm trying to make is that when the school <clears throat> were made aware on Thursday, uh, knew on Thursday and Friday that they had a number of students that had um, symptoms for coronavirus, that they went on and the kids were taken out of school. But they, they, my son, who sits next to one of them, um, basically was allowed to carry on, go to school, uh, go see his grandmother at the weekend, come home, meet people, do whatever he wanted to do. And then at quarter to six on a Monday evening, when the other young fellow was confirmed on Monday morning that he had COVID-19, um, then they contacted us at quarter to six and said, right, your son was in very in close contact with the patient. But what I'm saying is that they left a five-day window um, of my son, who could have got it on the Wednesday or Thursday, which they're concerned about, okay. inspecting his you know, all his grandparents, however, it's just wrong that, I mean, they, they just can't, the schools are pro- prohibited from ringing the close contacts as if the child was, um, test, would you say, you know, just assuming he was going to test positive and that they can just pick up the phone and say to the very, very close contacts that they would have been calling anyway afterwards like they did and just say, look, just to make you aware, just in case so we don't start killing a load of grandparents. Now, and what, what you're waiting for now is the results of your son's test and, My son's and, and worrying because he had close contact with his grandmother. Is he now? Was the virus incubating in him and was he? Exactly. And like, I, I, like my, I, I don't feel well for the last three or four days, but now that could be placebo. I don't know. Okay. You know what I mean? That, well, I mean it, am it, I it imagining it? Or, it, it does, whatever, it does seem like an anomaly that uh, if, if this is coming from the, the Department of Education. The principal of the yeah. school told me and read out the three lines to me from the government stating that he is not allowed under any circumstances to contact anybody or inform anybody of this. I know now people will, you can say that, oh sure it's medical stuff, you can't do it. But this is putting people's lives in risk. All it takes is a couple of phone calls to the people that are close to them and say that, look, just can you restrict your son's movements for a couple of days? Mm-hmm. Or we're shutting down the class for a day or two until we get the, the results. If that was a hotel, if that was a hotel, make they shut down the whole hotel and deep clean it. Mm-hmm. And as you say, if it was if it was the Doyle, it's happened there already on a sample of yeah, one. Yeah, and like what they do is like I mean they shut down the whole place and whatever. But no, they're leaving these kids that are, um, you know, possibly they are infected inside in the classrooms, and they're leaving them carry on and about their normal days life. That's just that's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, as you know yourself, at the start of this, what do they call kids? Super spreaders. Mm-hmm. 
asymptomatic. Asymptomatic, and yeah. Was, uh, yeah. And, and no, I take it there's, there's a lot less prevalence of, of the disease in younger children. Uh, that's evident in, 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 you know, they're being allowed to mix and play and not wear masks. Oh, yeah, and that you, kind go, of you go to the test centre yesterday and you, you, you tell me whether you think it's um, a lot less in younger people than whatever, because the place is full of kids. and was strong. From four years of age to nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. And I mean, every single car had kids inside in it, like. Okay. A texture says it gets worse than that. The school isn't even allowed to tell the teacher of the class that a pupil in their class is getting tested. So yeah, teachers, teachers every day are going in without any information. School. Yeah, and they're walking around the same school without masks on Okay. Got to leave it there. Thanks, though, David. It's, right, it's an anomaly we, we will investigate because it does yeah, seem I mean, to be a worrying one. Yeah. Yeah, but the place was okay. full of kids yesterday, you say. Uh, oh, totally, yeah. All getting tested. only in a very short window. That's only in a, a very short time space. But it's just wrong, and the schools need to make it the kids parents aware that they're the close contact of somebody who's done us. So okay. they, we, I could have kept my son away from his grandmother. Okay, thanks David, gotta leave it there. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Uh, this is Big Mulcahy. Neil Prenderville returns from holidays on next Monday morning after news at 9 o'clock. Hi Mick, please don't say my name, but my son was also a close contact with a boy who turned out to be a positive contact. I got no phone call. I'm fuming. I have a newborn baby and family uh, to think of, including elderly people. I'm waiting for my son to be tested. Uh, I had to find out all of this information from myself. So my son was also a close contact in school with a boy who proved to be a positive contact. Uh, and I'm worried. The worry here, I suppose, I'm, I'm reading into the, the text now, is that the newborn baby family and elderly people might have been compromised. Let's go to line one and to uh, Huey. Good morning, Huey. Hiya, Mick. You say the test centre was not full of kids yesterday? Well, I no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, it was actually Monday. I made a mistake there. Monday. I was up there Monday at about ten past four and um, it's like a drive-through. So we drove in and I counted that there was maybe seven cars in front of us and as we were moving through the line a lady came out and she took my name and my phone number she went back into the building and a minute or two later she came back out again and put um, a piece of paper on the windscreen and she said look just follow the line you'll be called through and I'd say within five minutes we were, we were called into the actual building where the test takes place mm-hmm. you don't get out of your car Okay, so you can only see the people that are maybe directly in front of you or directly behind you in the car behind you, right? And as I was driving into the building, there was probably maybe seven more cars in the queue. So you go into the building then, and you're literally in three days. So I was in the middle. I was in the middle line, and there was a car on my left hand side and a car on my right hand side. There was adults inside in both of those cars. The car that was behind me was an adult as well. So I'm not knocking what the gentleman said beforehand there about his own son but to suggest that the place was full of kids uh, well, uh, Sorry, I got the impression it's a waiting room full of children No, that's, I wouldn't, no, no, no You see, you're inside in your car, you don't get out of your car at And dr- drive-through is, is definitely the safest way to do this Yeah, so it's just drive-through is what it is So look, it's just, sometimes the language that's used there, Mick, can be a little bit um, the optics of, of the language that's been used to suggest that the place is full of kids you know, like as if they're running around in the playground and that? No, that's okay. not the case. Like you're inside in your car and you can only see who's alongside you, maybe in front of you and behind you. As I said, I was in the queue there. There were six cars in front of me. There was another seven cars in the queue behind me, you know. So okay. you can only kind of see who's directly around you. So like, it's just, as I said, I'm not knocking what the man was saying. 
with suggestions that the place is full of kids up there in the test centre. No. Okay. Natural. Huey, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Right here. Take Thank care. you very much. Some news just into us. There are delays in Charleville as the fire brigade and guard are attending an accident on the main street. Uh, there is, uh, if you know it, a nice, well, there's two actually, a nice couple of handy ways around Charleville. But so if you know them, use them. Uh, don't get yourselves lost, but stay away from Main Street Charleville just for the moment. There are delays there as the fire brigade and the guardy are attending an accident in the Main Street. A texter said that's not true, what Huey was saying, as kids were sitting in chairs uh, while other kids were being tested, uh, says a texter. So I don't know where the truth is, whether it's all done in cars, whether it's a mixture of cars and waiting room, or whether it's all done in waiting room, which is obviously not the case because Huey uh, did his in cars. So is it a mixture? Uh, That's what we're being uh, questioned on here. Uh, Huey saying it's cars in a very safe drive-through system. Somebody else is texting. There were kids sitting in chairs while other kids were being tested. Denise, uh, good morning to you. Hello. Hi, Denise. Hi, how are you? I'm good. No, your daughter of seven had a COVID test yeah. last week. Yeah, yeah. She um, she has asthma, so she tends to usually get a cold and a cough and everything else that's going this time of year, so she got the the GP referred to for a COVID test just because she didn't have a sense of smell and she had a cough. So that was last Monday. So she got brought back up. Brought back up. She got sorry. She her test was at quarter to ten to four last Monday. Okay. Did you get results? Uh, we got them about two days later, and they were negative. But my sister had been here all day the Sunday, so she had to stay home from work. So, she, she has, so while the test results were being waited for, she very responsibly restricted her movements. Yeah, yeah. And I actually had my niece and nephew here for a sleepover on the Friday night, so they had to stay home from school as well. But I did inform the school, and what I text is, like, I don't think any of her class were informed and the doctor said to us that if they're in close contact for more than 15 metres in or 15 minutes, in less than two metres contact, they have to send the strict. Okay, so if, and in a house you would be within two metre contact. Yeah, and like my sister was here and like the seven-year-old was up in her lap and my niece and nephew were, they shared a bed, you know, so they all were in close contact with each other. But so were her schoolmates or everybody in her class. Okay. Realistically. But was your seven-year-old in school while having these symptoms? Um, they kind of started on the Friday just a tickly cough and they got worse over the weekend. Okay, so so not really in school? A little bit on a the little Friday. Bit. Okay. Uh, and then when the test like came back negative... Like, my niece and nephew were here then the Friday night, but they had to self-restrict. Okay, but very responsibly, you acted, I think, because you restricted within the house everyone who was there while you awaited the test results. Thankfully, that test result came and was turned around in two days. Yeah, oh, thank God it was, yeah. Like, we all, like, I rang my husband, I would get home from work straight away, you know, the minute the doctor said she had to go for the test. We all, I rang my sister in work, I said, get home. We all stayed at home then for this couple of days. But, like, if it was positive, would that have meant that all her class 
potentially were spreading it as well because she had been in school. Uh, I don't know. If it was positive, did it mean you were spreading it before you came home from work? Yeah, well, I'm I'm actually off at work at the moment, but like my husband was in work, my sister works in a creche. My niece and nephew were in school on the Monday before the GP had rang me. Well, but I think that, that's where the contact tracing program will, will come into its own. They, they will take account of your movements. If that had yeah. been a positive test, a lot of people would have been getting notification to, to restrict their movements, I think. I know, but I, I think the point is, is this is how it's so easily spread. Like there's 20 other kids in her class, plus the two or three teachers. They're all in contact with people. If it had been positive... Jesus, you do, most sorry. Um, you don't know where it would have spread to in that time. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully it all worked out well. The, the result came back negative, but you you did do the responsible thing and we applaud that. Yes. Oh, definitely. If you need to go for a test, everybody should just restrict their movement. Like, my mother had to drop up stuff and she threw it in the window. She didn't even come near us. Do you know, that kind of way, you just have to be careful. Okay. Veronica, thank, thanks. Or Denise, I beg no, your pardon. Thank, thanks for that. As Veronica's on, on the next line. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. Cheers. Sorry, Veronica. I was coming to you there. Veronica, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Now, back, you? back to insurance. Two major subjects today. Uh, the testing and the insurance. Now, your husband had two years named driving. Yeah. Yeah, so he had... He was always insured on my car, right? Um, so we had one car... His insurance, uh, my insurance, and he was a named driver. He had a crash in 2015, so that kind of took that out. And they said two years named driving. Well, we got a quote two years ago from AXA. Okay. Um, and they quoted him um, around, at that stage, it was around 520, um, which was about 150 euros less than what I'm paying and they advised me that that was for two reasons. One, because he is a bus driver and the second was because he is male. He's what? He's he's a man. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was the fairer sex that got... Uh, I know it's kind of outlawed now to have anything body quality, uh, but I always thought the, the, the ladies were regarded safer drivers. So he's eight years... Sorry, you've eight years, no claims. Uh, he has two years name driver, but because he's a professional driver, mm-hmm. he got cheaper insurance yeah. than you. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Is this and it's the, still the same. Still the same? Yeah, because now, like, I renewed in March, and I have a really good insurance company. I, I don't fault them at any, at any point. Um, but, like, I was quoted in March about um, 700, a little bit over that. And my husband just got his renewal quote in the mail there, and he was quoted five fifty eight. Um, now he has two years of um, his own claim, no claims bonus, so in his own name, and I have ten years in my own name, so I am still quoted more. Now, what my insurance said um, two years ago was that I needed to change my driver license because I was still on a Belgian driver license, full EU license, but issued in Belgium. And that was costing me about 250 euros more a year just because of the driver license. So much for the great open EU experiment then, huh? <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's incredible. It doesn't work with VRT and now you're saying it doesn't work with licenses. So a Belgian license will be penalised 
here in Ireland, um, I suppose, ostensibly to force you into getting an Irish licence? Yeah, because Belgian licences are um, indefinite, so we never had to renew ah, them. Okay. Um, and they can't put any points on them. So I do see why we were being penalised, but it would have been nice that they would have told us so that we could have changed earlier. Yes, if you changed earlier, you, you would have saved 250 And have you shopped around? Your, your husband paying about 600 now, you're paying about 700 Have you shopped around? Because you're in the, you're in the zone there where you, by shop, shopping around could get you cheaper even. Oh, yeah, I do that every year, um, honestly. And my two insurances still came out uh, the cheapest one for each of us. So, um, I'm with Zurich, um, and uh, like I, my insurance is still cheaper with Zurich. Um, I checked with AXA, and they were more more expensive than Zurich, which was funny. And with my husband, it's the other way around. I checked with Zurich, and they were more expensive than AXA. So it, it definitely um, helps to shop around. Now, I can't get an insurance with some of the companies. They don't tell me why, but I can't. Um, I don't even get a quotation. If I call them, they said, no, there is a reason. And I said, but I'm not disqualified or I've never had any issues or anything like that. And there's other reasons for it. Like, I didn't push. I just went, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, there there is definitely um, a, a good thing to, to chop around because we've been with every company. I think we've been changing a lot. I was with AA, which was cheapest um, for a couple of years, and then they went up twice the amount. Um, I was with Aviva. Um, like I've changed every year, basically, but the last two years, Zurich and AXA really stood out, and I'm hoping that once my son starts driving, they will still stand out. <laughs> Yeah, and the, the message, the, the resonating message coming through all the calls today is if you do spend the hour or two, you will save a couple of hundred euros if you do Definitely. spend the time looking around. Definitely. It's, it's worth it. Like, I spend around looking around for car insurance, home insurance, um, even my, my life insurance with my mortgage. Like, I, I even changed that um, from Irish Life to Aviva. It does save you a lot of money. Like, I save 250 euros just by calling Zurich and, and them telling me to change my driver license. Like, some insurances give you more information than you need to. And they said that next year, like, um, it'll be cheaper again because of the points expiring on my driver license. So, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, it does pay out to shop around. It, it's annoying. It's, it's a lot of work. But it pays around and shop directly. Don't go like I know. I'm sorry for all the brokers, but I have tried brokers, and they're always more more expensive than than going directly to the company themselves. Okay, and we're not here today to knock brokers, and we're not here today to knock any individual yeah. insurance company. But we are questioning things in the system, whereby loyalty of long-standing customers seems to be uh, cheaper. Uh, you know, let's let's try and get some more out of them. Uh, rather than give them a service that would make them stay automatically. And I suppose they're doing it on the basis that some people will get the renewal. It doesn't mean much to them. They're making a lot of money. They'll renew. But other people are very price conscious uh, and are, have had the ability now to, to search and look around and go online uh, and are amazed at the savings that are possibly there to be made. Yeah, I mean, even I do that all the time. I saved about 300 on my own home insurance um, just by shopping around. And it was just because one insurance just asks you more questions than the other one. Um, it, 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 it's very, very important for people in Ireland. I don't get it because I, I come from a country where you just go to an insurance and every year that you stay with them, 
um, you get a claims discount and uh, options and it doesn't go up. Like the insurance never goes up. It only goes up when you have a car crash. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely some improvement that can be done in Ireland. But I wouldn't say it's the, the worst of them all. I mean, I have friends in the Netherlands and they tell me that it is even worse there. So it, it's not the worst, but shopping around helps, especially here in Ireland. Okay. How long are you here, Veronica? Um, Ten years next year. Oh, very. And you came in from Belgium or from where? Belgium, yeah. Yeah, okay. You kind of have the bit of the Irish accent. But, yeah, I, lo- I, but I, love, I love the way you say Zurich. Say it again. Zurich. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, Veronica. <laughs> No bother. Cheers. Have a nice day. You Bye. too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Lovely to talk to someone with us. You can tell there's a smile on her face. Fitzgerald's insurance in Kanturka, the cheapest I've found any year, says Alan in Mallow. Uh, my 13-year-old daughter was tested yesterday in the Mallow Road Test Centre. There were nine cars being done at a time. She did get out of the car to get tested, but she wasn't the only child tested outside the car. These are comments to 86 106 And there's one more. Uh, if you just scroll up there, we'll get the the last text. Uh, gives you, sorry, me and my two kids, one and four, all got tested at the test centre. It gives you the option of taking the kids out of the car to be tested because it makes it easier for you to hold them for the test if they need to be held instead of trying to hold them in their car seat. So that maybe brings some clarity to that. Uh, me and my kids, one and four years of age, who would need to be, I would imagine, held uh, in the comfort of mum or dad's arms to get tested. So the option is de- uh, there to take the kids out of the car to be tested. If it makes it easier for you to hold them uh, for the test instead of trying to hold them in their car seats. Now, the Independent National Commemoration Committee, a group set up to mark a series of centenary events. Uh, you may have heard some of this already. In Cork, will commemorate the 100th anniversary of the capture of the British barracks in Mallow this Saturday, the 26th of September. And I'm going to talk to uh, Tom Abernathy about that in a moment. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And a very good morning. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, the 100th anniversary of the only army barracks captured during the War of Independence is coming up. And to tell us all about it is Tom Abernathy. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the air. No, no problem. Now, you want to publicize the centenary of certain events here in Cork. That didn't go too well for Charlie Flanagan when he wanted to commemorate the Black and Tans, but... um, Well, yeah, we, that wasn't exactly what we had in mind. No, we're not, uh, we won't be doing anything like that. Um, the point of what we're trying to do is, I mean, 1920 is a huge year in Ireland and, and obviously a huge year in Cork. There's so many events that took place that year. I mean, you could start with the, the election of Thomas McCurtain as, as the mayor um, and then obviously his, his assassination in, in March, followed by the, the you know, Terence McSweeney uh, becoming mayor his arrest and hunger strike and his death, um, capture of the Mallow Barracks, other other events such as that. Um, and then sort of culminating, you would say, at the end of, of, of the year with the burning of Cork City and then the introduction of the Government of Ireland Act of 1920, which is kind of all ties in with that. So, you know, obviously we had plans uh, from the beginning of the year, obviously for Thomas McCurtain, who was such a you know, a pivotal figure in, in Irish history and, and such a, a man who like, did so much for Ireland. Um, and so that, you know, that obviously didn't happen. But what we're trying to do at this stage is, is to try and get back on track, um, you know, even with everything that's going on and trying to get people to focus at least for some period of time, and, and uh, you know, to focus on the men and women of this year of 1920 and just to kind of appreciate 
what they did. Well, the struggles, I suppose, have all involved in, in, in creating the fledgling democratic republic mm. uh, and the freedoms we now enjoy today as part of a republic uh, should be probably commemorated very strongly. Uh, and I know there are COVID restrictions when it comes to gatherings and to doing this. A lot of it will be online, I suppose. How do you, yeah. how do you intend to uh, commemorate the capture of the British Army barracks in Mallow? Well, we're just going to have a, a small group of people there. Just to, I mean, I think all these events need to have at least some, you know, some kind of commemoration. Obviously, there, 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 there are things in place that you have to, you know, kind of go, go with. But, you know, there still can be a sort of a token presence there where people could say, okay, that we were here, you know, we at least, you know, commemorate this day. But yeah, as you say, yeah, most people, for, you know, it would be their choice to, to go, you know, just to go online. Uh, we are publishing a, a booklet uh, called The Legacy of 1920, which is a focusing on Cork, you know, of course, because this is, you know, Cork is, 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 is a key center, but also talking about sort of trends during that year throughout the country. Um, and the focus, as you said, the democratic, the focus that we're having is, first of all, on local people, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, that's what this was, you know, local men and women. But also, as you talked about the democratic mandate, you had not just the election of, of, of 1918, which you know, people do know about and talk about, but also the local council elections in, in January of 1920 and then in, in June of 1920. Um, you know, the January 1920 is what got Thomas McCurtain in, in as mayor. Um, so this was these were the, the ability of the Irish people and the people in Cork, especially to kind of, you know, vote for what kind of government they wanted. And, and they did vote in, in, in throughout 1920 um, that they did want an independent democratic government that would sort of, you know, take their wishes in, into account and, and do what was best. For mm. them. Now, the attack and the capture of the garrison would many years later, in, in a way, be emulated by the attack uh, of the Doolittle Squad on Tokyo when, when you know, a distance that could not be flown was managed by putting planes onto aircraft carriers and a symbolic bombing of Tokyo took place, which had, had kind of had a, an effect on turning the mindset that, that helped the, the Second World War be won. This was, and I know it's, you know, a much more local scene here. Mm. Uh, this was in Mallow, a barracks of the British military in a garrison town surrounded by other military installations. There was a strong RIC presence in Mallow. Just eight miles to the north was Buttevant, one of the largest military barracks the country uh, had. Uh, so this was kind of a cheeky thing to do. Yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of one of the things why why it, it, it should be commemorating, and that's that's exactly what it was. It was it sort of it was out of the sort of out of the norm. It wasn't how most of the the, the actions that had taken place during 1920 had occurred. It was, as you say, it was a British military barracks. It wasn't an RIC barracks. Uh, it was in a heavily fortified area with heavily military fortifications all around it. Uh, so it was incredibly daring, and I, I guess that was sort of the thing that that we want to kind of commemorate is, is kind of the ingenuity of it, the daringness of it. Um, you know, there's almost a kind of a, you know, and then you have Ernie O'Malley coming up with the letter, you know, to get the guard to open up there. I mean, it's almost kind of a, not a, I wouldn't say, sense. it would be a great movie, you know, it would, mm. would sort of be, it's kind of almost cinema in a way. And they they got there the night before and they were staying in the town, you know, they sort of, sort of all huddled there in the town hall, you know, dozens of men, you know, you kind of worried, they're worried that they're going to be spotted and all that. So, and, and Ernie O'Malley in his book talks about the, the, the town hall being like the Trojan horse, you know, that they're kind of all in there and, and waiting to pour out in, in, in the morning. So, yeah, there's just so many things about it that are just, uh, 
interesting in of themselves in addition to how significant it was. And yeah, it certainly, I think, got the British attention. It, there was newspaper articles about, you know, what's, you know, the people in England reading this and saying, what is going on there? You know, this, this uh, you know, we've been told that this is all just some, some local disturbance or whatever. And, and, and certainly events such as now, um, I think, eventually we're getting through to people that know that there is something going on here. Okay, next Saturday, how can people partake or get involved? Well, again, for, for most people, it would be go, going online. The, the, the website is Eresir, E-I-R-E-S-A-O-R. Um, we're going to have to have the, the booklet, you know, we're putting it together again, which is which is a way of tying in all the kind of the, the, the pieces of this of, of 1920 about Cork and, and about, again, the democratic mandate. A few of us will show up at, at you know, we're going to meet in, at about 2 o'clock, um, the Thomas Davis statue, and, and there'll be a very brief, you know, just kind of just marking the event. That's basically what we want to do, okay. just to sort of signify, look, this happened, um, events like this, um, Mallow obviously is the one that's coming up next, but the the, the, the death on hunger strike of, of, of uh, Terence McSweeney and Joseph Murphy, that, that's coming up next month. So, so there are major events coming up, and this is just kind of the sort of opening, opening sort of, issue of it. But I guess, uh, you know, in terms of what people could do is, is again, write into, you know, get on the radio and talk to, to people about it, uh, write letters, you know, and, and there have been people who have been doing that in court. They've been writing newspaper articles and so on. All right, son. Um, and, and just to, to kind of, I know with all, everything else that's going on, it's, it's, we don't want to lose sight of it. Well, it's important to commemorate, lest we forget. And Eresair, E-I-R-E-S-A-R is also on Facebook. Uh, Tom yeah, Abernethy, thanks, thanks for that. Uh, as, as, as you and your people endeavour to recognise the courage and the sacrifices of the citizens of Cork as they stood by the, the young democratic uh, government of the Irish Republic and the right of the Irish people to self-government on testing. No, I don't want to go on air, but you are given the option for the child to be tested in or out of the car, as said by a previous texter. Hello, can you ask the guy, Tom, speaking about Mallow Barracks, if the event is being organised as a political event or a historian event? Uh, Tom is gone, but I can answer that one for you. They are a completely independent organisation, an independent local Cork-based organisation, unconnected, uh, and this is from their own press release, to any particular party or faction. Okay, but they're encouraging an approach to these centenary dates that looks at the common people of Cork and how they are the courage to stand by a fledgling democratic Republican government that represented the majority will of the people of Ireland uh, in this period in the climate of severe oppression. I'm reading that from their press release, but they are stating that they are not uh, affiliated with any particular party or faction, but they just want to historically uh, commemorate. Okay, you can call us on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six, or indeed uh, email neil at redfm.ie. Morning to David Brown from BDM Boyle and Solicitors. Good morning, David. Good morning, Mick. Thanks for having me. No, you're very welcome. Uh, thank you for uh, offering to uh, follow up with us on Katie's email from earlier. Uh, case of offer and acceptance. CAO offer, CAO accepted to the detriment of other offers. Uh, Susie Grant in place. Uh, fees accepted and registration made. Does this constitute a contractual agreement? I think it does. I think Katie has been treated shamefully. Uh, she's not home and dry by any chance, but I mean, if you strip it back to the bare first principles, um, they made an offer, she accepted it, she paid her fees, uh, she possibly turned down other chances. It seems to me she probably, you know, she could have, for instance, put in her appeal by the 16th of September if she knew that her grades were um, not sufficient, or she could have taken the option of sitting the leave of cert again. She passed all that by because uh, she relied on their offer. And, 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 and relied on the integrity of the offer. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, now, the devil is in the detail, but it's, it's, it's like buying a sofa. If you go into a, a, a furniture shop and you see a sofa for four hundred euro, and you go to the till and they say, "Oops, that's a mistake. It should have been five hundred euro," uh, then then you've no rights. They, they, you know, it's not um, uh, you can't make them give you the sofa for four hundred euro. I thought you but could on the advertised price, no? Uh, no, but if if they take the four hundred euro and they contact you afterwards, you take the sofa home and they say, "Oops, that's a mistake. We want another hundred euro, or we want to, to we want to get us." We want to take it back. They can't. It's a done deal. So I would liken this to a, to a done deal. There could be exceptions. I mean, if she was totally ineligible or if she put anything incorrect on her forms, there might be a question to be asked. But she certainly has a stateable case on, 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 on offer and acceptance, plain contractual principles. And I think we get an awful lot of queries this time of year, every year, particularly this year, with all the difficulties with COVID and, and the leaving cert, and the, 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 the accommodations are reached on the worthy cases like these. Some people won't win their cases and won't take them further. There are a lot of queries, but it seems Katie is more meritorious than many of the other people who, who come in asking questions. You know? Is it the kind of stuff BDM Boyle and Solicitors take on? Is there a pro bono opportunity here for Katie, or would you send her somewhere else and make a recommendation? Uh, we'd certainly talk to her and say, and, and if, 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 she, if she has a good case, once we see all the documentation, we'd, we, 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 we'd, uh, you have to get barristers involved as well. To, so, um, so yes, it is the type of case you take pro bono if it's a good, if it's a good case. If the detail it all stacks up, you'd first of all want to get your, your um, you'd have to get the full information under either freedom of information or data protection request. You'd get all your ducks in a row. And if it's the case that they made the error, um, then, then she certainly has a Facebook case. Well, we have a lot of queries. To be honest with you, mo- most of them are, are are not good enough to go the whole way, but we do have a few which will go uh, will go before the courts if they're not settled. Well, if you would be kind enough, David, to have a cursory look at her situation pro bono, and if there are costs involved to advise her of same uh, going yes. forward, but we, we're, we're getting loads of queries from Leaving Cert students, so uh, you know, and I don't want a deluge of Leaving Cert students contacting BDM Boyle and solicitors, uh, but if you would have one quick look at Katie's uh, situation for us, uh, and maybe define a if there's a clear pathway forward, that may help her. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, on the initial email, there isn't enough detail, but I'd be happy behind the scenes to look at all of her documentation, all of her detail and advise her, and we'll keep her, we'll keep her straight. Okay, and, and look, we really do appreciate that offer, and we've, I've no problem giving you publicity for that pro bono work, uh, if indeed you and she are successful. That would be a great story, uh, because it seems the rug was pulled out from under her at the very last minute. Yes, that, that's the upsetting part. I mean, lots of look. There are winners and losers with COVID and and and, and um, uh, errors in exam results. Uh, but but she seems to have gone very far down the road before the errors was picked up. Uh, and and uh, I, I don't think it's beyond their capacity to say to make an exception in her case and 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 and, and to, to to leave her on the course. And look, if she's got the ability, she'll get through it. If she doesn't, uh, she'll be weeded out after the. Uh, after the first year, all she's looking for is a chance. Yeah, exactly. Reasonable. All right, David. Thank you very much, David Brown of BDM Boyle and Solicitors. We'll put Katie in touch, in touch with you with your permission and maybe have one quick cursory look and see is there a pathway forward for her because otherwise it doesn't look like she's going to be doing anything uh, for the coming year. Thanks very much, David. Okay, thank you, mate. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. Now, uh, as Martin is online too. Hi, Martin. Mate, yeah. as far as I'm aware, and this is from a personal point of view, if you go into a shop and a, an item is priced 
as he said, at 400 euro. You go to the counter to buy that product, you're entitled to that product for 400 euro. Not the product, not the price that comes up on the till. Mm-hmm. If the shop has marked it wrong, that is their problem. Because I did have the same problem with a, a shop and a certain item. When I brought it to the counter, they told me, oh no, I'm sorry, that was marked wrong. And my argument was, as far as I'm concerned, that's the price that I was going to buy it at. Mm-hmm. And as the consumer rights state... Consumer rights would kick in there. I might yeah. be wrong. I'm nearly certain they have to give you that product at the price it was advertised at in the shop. I often Why shop in, in a supermarket that have offers on a certain day and uh, went to the, the counter and said, no, that's wrong. Uh, no, 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 that, that, that's a different price up on the shelf. And when they checked it, they said, you're actually correct, um, but our tills haven't been updated. And they were happy to, uh, to leave the lower price uh, and reprogram yeah. the till to, to accommodate that. So, it, 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 But as far as, it, as, as far as I'm aware, and I'm, I'm nearly 99% sure, if, as he said, if the sofa is labelled at 400 euro, if that's it, you're taking that sofa at 400 euro. It's the not advertised price. Not 450. You're entitled to that product. Okay, well, uh, I would assume the same. David said different, you think different. Let's see what the actual factual situation is with that. I know he's a solicitor, but as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm the the person purchasing it. I would fight it. I did fight it, and I got the item at the price it was marked. That's brilliant. Thanks a million, Martin. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's 19 minutes to 12 now. We're back in a moment with some snooker good news. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And at 16 minutes to 12 o'clock, we're finishing the programme today on Cork's north side with a couple of very uplifting stories. First of all, on line three, we have Stephen Hill. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Mick. Now, uh, I began the Neil Prendival Show holiday relief with talking to you, I think last Monday week, uh, on your son Aaron Hill losing his cue, uh, the help of Ryanair and your, your wife flying over and, and all that kind of thing uh, to get the cue in his hand. Uh, we were worried then that it would unsettle him as he went into uh, the European Snooker Masters. But last night, he beat Andy Hicks 5-2 in the European Snooker Masters. And as we said, wouldn't it be gas if he did? Because now he's going to meet Ronnie O'Sullivan. That's right, Mick, that's right. Tomorrow evening, or sometime, we don't know the time yet, but uh, he's going to play the rocket himself, his child, his childhood uh, dream of playing Ronnie himself. His childhood hero? Yeah. Wow, it's amazing. How is he? Oh, he's fantastic. He's in great form. Just before the game, do you know, last night, I texted him, I said, is everything okay with you, bud? He said, Dad, I'm just, I'm just pressing my shot now, and, and, and it's time to kick, you know what? <laughs> Time to kick ass. <laughs> Is it, will it be a bit daunting for him playing Ronnie? Not at all. Not too well. I suppose he's, but well, you know, it's a big, the biggest match of of his career. But um, he he just doesn't. Uh, these guys just don't seem to bother him at all. It doesn't um, phase him at all. No, no. He just he he, he has the right name, Aaron De Breeze, D Breeze Hill. Aaron DeBreeze, is that it? Yeah, that's his nickname, yeah, because, as you say, he's pressure's only for tiles. Uh, well, we've had the hurricane, and we've had the whirlwind. And the tornado. And the tornado, yes, that's right. And uh, now we have DeBreeze, <laughs> new era. <laughs> the breeze, a, fresh, a fresh breeze. He's from Cathedral Road in Cork. 
That's right, yeah. Um, Bravo, yeah. And uh, what, I, I suppose the social distancing means you can't really be there with him. Oh, we, we, we can be there, but we can't be there and watching, I suppose. I could be across the road somewhere, having the minerals, watching him and stuff. But, um, no, it's just like, we, we'll have to get over something. He's the uncle Christmas, but... Once he start, if he do start losing, he just come. He's back for a week and he's gone again. Then because there's nine tournaments between now and December, and then there's another nine tournaments after that. But they're all in Milton Keynes. Well, thank God they're held there anyway, because otherwise he'd be travelling all different countries around Europe. Yeah, so it's all centralised in the UK. Of course, the UK is under new COVID restrictions now as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but so, um, he, he was tested just from now and everything was fine. But it's just unfortunately a few lads, the results came back positive and then. Um, Thankfully, Alan's up here. Okay, and the snookers, is it being televised? Can we watch it? Oh, that's going to be televised, yeah, but, you know, I, I'd be nervous, right, because my stomach would be in bits from watching him, and I just, I just can't take it, you know, and then, but, um, you're looking at, we're getting down in there, you're just... just your, your local is open, you could always sit in there with, with a company socially distance and... Frightened. Oh, yeah, 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 but last thing, you know, you're just watching the late scores, and the exact same, but watching them on television... Well, I just I can't call. Stephen, I can leave. I can only leave you with the fervent wish that I'll be speaking to you again before the week is out. Okay. Not, not a bother, me. All right. Much Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. Bye bye. That is Stephen Hill. Uh, his son Aaron Hill beat Annie Hicks last night, and now we'll play uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan live on the Europe Sport is where it's going to be in the second round. So he's getting ready. Uh, for that now to matters different and to Stevie McGowan who is in Armagh. Good morning, Stevie. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, I came across you once at a seminar you were doing. You were a kind of a life coach. You're a personality developer. Um, uh, but I really want to concentrate on, on the fact that you have turned your mind to direct your body to do things uh, that maybe nobody else can really achieve. You also have a huge heart in, in that you have been constantly supporting charities. Now, can I charitably say that when you began your endeavor, you were not a runner? That's correct. Yeah. So you never really ran any half marathons no. or any of that kind of stuff. But you put something into your no. brain that said, mm-hmm. what's the biggest Mount Everest I can do here? And decided, uh, now I know uh, as well from reading some of your biog, uh, that you are someone who places a lot of faith in uh, the power of acceptance and the power of attraction, the laws of the, that, that govern all that and, and in the wonders of the universe. Can we put it that way? So you, you asked for direction. And something came into your brain to say, run a hundred marathons in a hundred days. Yeah, well, um, I, yeah, I, well, I was in a situation where I wanted to be able to help more and do more and ask God for guidance. And uh, it, um, it came through me through a man called Larry McGuire. Actually, the first time it was Larry's idea to run a hundred marathons in a hundred days. And Larry had attended a retreat, the retreat that we run. And um, then I, it, it, he was sitting down with me and he was speaking to me. And next thing I got a flashing image. And I could see myself running through Armagh with long hair, a beard, and wearing a red T-shirt. And I didn't have long hair or beard thing, but I had a red T-shirt. And it was so strong that I said, Larry, I'll run these 100 marathons in 100 days with you. And unfortunately, Larry wasn't able to do it. But he was successful because he set up the Laura McGuire Foundation. And I was successful in completing the 100 marathons in 100 days in 2015. How does so any was, man physically do that? Well, uh, as you were saying there as well too, it's like, you know, it's, it's one step in front of the other. And I think sometimes, you know what I mean, people get into their mind these limitations and these ideas that they, that they can't do certain things. But through the grace of God, you can do many things, you know. And, and, and if, you know, we all know we look at different human beings doing great things. 
throughout the world many times and even ourselves the pains and the heartache and the, the challenges that we've all come through even to get into this stage of our lives no matter what it is rearing a family building a business whatever your dream your goal is there's always challenges along the way and, and then you ran a couple of thousand miles around the island of Ireland Yes, then the following year I ran uh, 40 miles a day uh, for 59 days in a row and the last day I ran 57 miles. So I ran through every county, every major town and every every city in 2016. We'd done that for autism, so we did. And it, it came the same way. It was like, uh, I was like, what's next? What are we going to do next? And it just came very strong. It was a very strong vision. It's keep on running, run the whole way around Ireland. And when we were doing that, we were spreading the message too. It was, um, it was I carried a hand, the symbol. It was called the, the, the hand of friendship. It was the yellow hand. It was called the yellow hand of friendship. Mm-hmm. And it was just about extending the hand out to people. And, you know, oftentimes in life, there's, you can see a lot of divides can be created among people. You know, this, the person this big time, that, that person that big time. And, but through, through, the, through all that time, Steve, you worked with charities, and without mentioning any charities by yeah. name now, because you've worked for a myriad of them, and, and most of them yeah. uh, being the very best of intentions, but you did see some uh, administration costs being lopped off the top and, uh, and certain yeah. elements not reaching... Uh, the people it's designed to reach. And, and, and when yeah. you came across the Irish charity, International Orphanage Development Programme Limited, which is a registered Irish charity and not-for-profit, uh, this one seems to take all the boxes for you. Yeah, well, well I met Tom McEnany. I was, I was blessed to meet Tom in 2016, and he'd been doing great work uh, for nearly 20 years out with the orphan children of Belarus, and it was proper, real good charity. Oftentimes, we all give money to charity and different things, and a lot can go, you know, down the administration end and different things they got there or it can be, you know, a bit wasteful. And the thing that I loved about Tom's ethos and IODP is that every penny, every penny that's given goes directly, goes directly to the cause, goes directly to the kids and, and, makes, and makes a difference, you know. So, so what, what Tom really had an idea to do is to bring to these children in orphanages in, in Belarus a Santa Claus or a Mr. Frost or a Jack Frost as, as, as the that's character right. would be known outside. And, and to yes. do so, yeah. anyone who's volunteering pays their own way, pays their own food. Yeah. Uh, and the only element, I believe, that comes out of the charitable, uh, charitable donations is the very necessary interpreters. Uh, and they would be relatively cheap there on the ground anyway, but you need them on the ground yeah. to get the message across. Okay. So tell me about Glenn McCarthy, because I'm going to introduce Glenn in a moment, because he's doing something yeah. huge as well. Yeah, well, Glenn, well, Glenn's a great fella, and uh, you know, I, I know Glenn through his, through his brother Paul and that, and uh, they're great fellas, and... Uh, Glenn came up here at Larma and I've seen him and he's had a few challenges and different stuff and I, Glenn, I looked at Glenn and Glenn, I see an endurance athlete when I look at you I see an endurance athlete because Glenn has went through a lot of tough times and has endured and won and uh, he took up the challenge he took up the model and I think this Saturday he's going to be running a marathon 26.2 mile marathon this Saturday for the orphan children of Belarus and uh, if people listen out there if they could if they could support Glenn and uh, we'd really really appreciate it OK so, good morning Glenn stay with us Steve morning to you Glenn Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm great. Now, you have come uh, through your own challenges. Steve McGowan can run 100 marathons in 100 days. You came from a much darker place. Uh, you had your, your story with addiction. I'm not going to go into it right now, but you came from a, a very dark place uh, into the light and looking forward and wanting to pay it forward and do things for children who can't do it for themselves. That, uh, that's right, Mick. And um, I suppose I just want to give back as well. You know, I feel blessed where I am. In my life at the moment, you know, and, and yeah, I had some difficulties in life, like everybody else, you know, and I suppose mine would have been addiction, you know, um, for most of my adult life in and out of addiction. And I've had some good years in between that as well. It hasn't been all bad, you know, but when it was bad, it, it, it was it was bad enough, you know. And uh, I suppose down through the years, I've seen my brother and Stevie there, you know, um, do, do a lot of work for charity and uh, 
and I've seen him travel over to Belarus a couple of times and, and a few times I couldn't go because maybe I was away in treatment and stuff like that or, or, or other places, you know, and and you know, I've I, so I've seen it and I've always wanted to do something, you know, and uh, I never gave up really and I just keep on trying, you know, but... Um, you know, so I just wanted to give back a little bit, Mick, and um, and so I went up to Stevie. I, I was struggling a small bit before Christmas last year, and uh, so I went up to Stevie, and, and he said what he said there, and I was kind of looking at him, you know, just nodding my head, and then Joram's at me, but ever since I'm kind of running and stuff, and I was at a retreat, and we set a goal that I'd go up and run 20 miles with him an hour, man, we did that, and, and, and I set the goal up in the retreat that I was going to run the Cox City Marathon. Um, and I was like, Steve, I'm not a runner, like, but I've been to sports all my life, I suppose. And just to raise money for the people of Belarus, and since it was cancelled and stuff, I just kind of, I kept on running, and um, I, I said, um, I put it out there that I, I'm going to do it on the 26th, which is coming up most mm, So the marathon was cancelled, obviously because of COVID. You're going to do it on your own. But what really struck me about this charity is that these orphans who have very little uh, know that they won't have really the orphanage as a home when they're 18, and 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 from Santa Claus, they're looking for an ironing board, an iron, a kettle. Yeah. Well, why do they do that? Yeah. Glenn? Yeah. Well, it, 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 this is this is what caught me as well. And this is what struck a car at me as well. And uh, you know, I, I've been listening to my brothers, and I've seen videos um, down through the years of them. And uh, he explained to me the reason they want that, so like a kettle and an ironing board. Like they might get an ironing board one year, and they look for an iron the year after, and a kettle. And it's just that they're stockpiling for when they're eighteen, Mick. And um, for when they leave the orphanages, so they'll have st- uh, supplies and stuff, and that's their and that's their wish. Like that, that, that that's the present they want off Santi for Christmas, you know. Wow, that's really you know, and that's that struck a, that struck a chord with me. That uh, yeah, that really hits. They're building up a stock of household appliances so that they'll be kind of independent when they have to leave the orphanage. So you've got to go fund me. You're you're doing it on Saturday, Glenn. It's the full marathon. How can people support? It's a very worthy cause. Yeah, um, I suppose, I suppose there's a GoFundMe page there, Mick, and uh, every every little house, Mick, every and you know, I have um, so a few sponsor cards out as well and stuff like that, you know. And uh, you know, I suppose I just want to give a bit of hope to someone else out there that may be struggling and stuff like that, you know. This got me through the air as well, Mick. There was a bit of purpose in it, you know, and I intend to keep on doing it as well after this, you know. One thing you said to me off air there, Glenn, really resonated with me as well. You said my story is an open book on the north side, and if Glenn McCarthy can do it, anyone can do it. So well done for the inspiration you're putting forward. Thanks, Mick. Much appreciated. And thanks to Stevie as well. And I suppose my family and my, my fiancé and everyone that kind of stuck by me through the good and the bad times, you know. And, uh, and you know, so I'm looking forward to Saturday. I'm looking forward to getting it done. And it's for a great cause. So I'm, 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 I'm truly grateful. Fantastic. That. A great cause. And well done to everyone involved in the International Orphanage Development Programme Limited, an Irish registered charity uh, with the biggest of hearts. Last word to Stevie McGowan. Yeah, uh, please, if, if you can get behind Glenn and support Glenn, we really, really would appreciate it. All the money goes directly to these orphan children. As you say, some of them are looking uh, a kettle, an iron, a blanket, because whenever they leave the orphanage, they know that they've got no one there for themselves. And, um, you know, uh, we're also uh, blessed and privileged to have these all things in our life. And if we could land a helping hand, it'll make all the difference in the world. Thanks, guys. And Glenn, keep our lips. Not keep a bar, our lips. Thanks, Stevie, and thanks, Glenn. Thanks. And thanks, my, thanks guys, and my thanks, thanks to uh, Brenda Dennehy, to Mark Willington, to Seamus Whelan, and Emma Hill, the Neil Prendeville Show production team. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.